It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna, talking to people who stand up, speak out, or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children, respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Welcome to the Blood and Mud podcast, the podcast that hasn't left our bubble and therefore the fixture is still on, Josh. <laughs> That's all that matters. Simple That's as that, isn't it, really? Simple yeah. as that. I'm Lee, I think you know that. And over there is... Yeah. The noise you can hear is Josh's chair creaking as he dances, which is a wonderful vision. (laughs) And indeed, you you are, well, you are Omar Oheed. Literally every week you are here. So I never understood why that song has weird Spanish trumpets in it. Yeah, he went for it, didn't he, old David Yuan, with this he one? Did. Yeah, not a not a yeah, farthing was spared on I that just, production. I, uh, yeah, I just I never got why they went really Spanish and sort of Latin with the sort of poppy trumpet, like a Spanish revolutionary thing, international brigades, maybe spirit maybe. of like type it. thing. So yeah, so it's Saint yeah. David's Day, Josh, and are you like a room Saint without David's a roof, as uh, as Pharrell would say? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a good weekend, isn't it? I mean, it is. Well, you on it? Have you got some? Yeah, <laughs> have you got some? Um, will you have to be eating some? I was wrong pie at some point in this episode, or uh, maybe we'll, will we get well, to that we'll later? Come to that. We'll come to we'll that. Get, get to that. But yeah, it's it's a strange, strange weekend. Of rugby, but uh, 
In between, one. in between delighting, obviously about that. What anything else you've been up to this weekend? Ah, uh, painted a bit of a fence. Oh, good lord! That you celebrated like Alan yeah. Shearer when he got a hat trick that time. I mean, Creosote defense. <laughs> it's one of it's one of those things that you just can't avoid. You get to a point where you like because we've got like fen- quite a lot of fence in our garden that goes sort of right the way around it. And we've got plants that grow up. There's a very, very, very small window where I can paint mm. the fence without having to I see. also hack back a fuckload of hedge and shit. So owning property, it was do or die. Honestly, it's terrible. Renters, like I know it's absolutely more expensive and a horrendous exploitative economy, but also you never have to pay to get your boiler repaired. So. I had to have my gutter in replaced a couple of weeks ago. Now, that's oh a shit job God. to pay a lot of money for. Jesus Christ. I mean, the other one was drippings. I'm happy that's not happening. And But, the, you know, offshoot of it is, he comes and does the guttering. Off he goes. Mm. He had to come back because mm. a bit of it was dripping. and it was a, He fixed it. Off it he goes. I then noticed I had no sky signal. So right. I was like, right, let's have a look at this dish. Maybe Because it was when the snow would come. I thought there's probably a bit of snow okay, stuck yeah. to the dish. You know what happens there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goes out there, no, you know the plastic thing that's on the end of the thing that sticks out your dish? Like the receiver mm-hmm. box thing? Completely snapped off. He'd obviously dropped a load of gutter in onto it. Onto your sky thing and just Said went. nothing and went. <laughs> Fucked off. Brilliant. So I thought, well, all right then. Well, you know what this is happening now, don't you? Perfect excuse to take the Sky Q yeah. plunge. Absolutely. So yeah. I've got free fitting, free fitting and Sky Q, and I'm paying three quid a month less. Go figure that out. Honestly. And I've also got a SkyQ a mini box. I don't even have a second telly. Well. It's just sat in a box. I don't even have a second <laughs> telly. I'm going to have to buy a telly to, to use a SkyQ mini box. Yeah. SkyQ is, is... Having a word with people at Sky is one of... If you've never done it and you're a Sky customer, you're a mug. Because yeah. honestly... Don't believe all that gold VIP I, discount thing in the app. That's absolutely bollocks. no. Just, just get somebody on the phone and use the word unacceptable a lot. And... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's threatened to leave and see what happens. So then I turned SkyQ mm. on. I'm not going to lie to yes. you. The menu took it, taking a bit of getting used to. I'm very programmed yeah, for, the Sky, for the Sky Plus yeah. menu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, the on-demand section Fantastic suggested stuff. to me the, the TV series V from the 80s. Oh, yes. With the, with the li- spoiler alert, the lizards and that. Yes. Which I'm sure is where all this started, you know, about lizards taking over the world. <laughs> it probably is, actually. So or I've maybe, been... Who knew? Yeah. Working my way through didn't that. They a, didn't they do a remake of that? They did, like, like a spin-off in 2009, like, Viz, the, the next chapter of this. Uh, uh, it, was it had Earth from Homeland and, uh, and Firefly and uh, various other things. I've not watched that because I don't like new things. Marina... Marina Bakarin, she's very attractive, hence why I know she's what she's in. So yeah, um, I was watching, yeah. I mean, it, it is so 80s, it's fucking hilarious. Like I all the aliens have remember. like shoulder pads. There was one scene where a woman had a dressing gown on with shoulder pads in the dressing gown. Amazing. And so where many holes in the plot, so many holes. Like, how is this gigantic, super powerful alien race only got two people defending this massive armory that they've got? <laughs> Honestly, it's amazing. The TV in the 80s, before the era of sort of serialized like seat like television that was you know had story arcs like a fucking comic book or a mm. whatever 
Like you can just just do it. Just make it. You know, it doesn't matter. And absolutely nothing that happens in this week will have any bearing on what happens next week. No, what's good about this is it's because they were all mini series, so every episode is an hour oh, and forty six yeah. minutes long. Oof. So you've got the original series that's like fucking film. nearly four hours worth. You then go on to V, v the final conflict, three nearly two hour episodes because they were on like two hours a night, three nights on the bounce nice. back in the day. And I tell you, who's the main guy in it, the main heartthrob in it, Mark with Jimmy. a C, singer. Do you remember Mark Singer? He was in Beastmaster. He is the oh, shittest, yeah, that guy. shittest eighties heartthrob you've ever come across in your life. It's hilariously bad. Yes, he was in. Um, I saw him in something quite recently, but I can't remember what it was. And I was like, "Fucking hell!" It's been a while since I've seen him. So and I've I'll level th- with you. He's not leading man material anymore. He wasn't then. It's bizarre. He's got half no, a skin. <laughs> a skin is a northwest word, a Lancashire word for a cross eye. He's got half a skin. Terrible barnet. Jeans far yeah, too tight. Yeah, his barnet is still awful. His, his barnet is the same as it was in the eighties. Hair over except the years. It's, yeah, except it's kind of much, much, much thinner. But yeah, but so while they're doing a bit of nostalgia, and I've got a, I've got a, you know, a, a guttering man with no conscience to thank for that because he, yeah. I would never have done that without it. So that was my weekend beyond the rug. I was working, of course, did the Guardian on the Saturday. Yeah, so that was all right. I had to watch that. I had to write about how in in great detail about how England were getting humiliated. So you know. I mean, sounds fun. Yeah. Used to get paid. <laughs> so, well, exactly. Yeah. If you want to get in touch yes. with us and share your, you know, guttering related 80s nostalgia dives, then you can uh, go in touch with me at bloodandmuddle at bloodandmud.com. And Josh, you are? Uh, at Josh Gardner at rubbyshirtwatch, rubbyshirtwatch.com. That's about it. Yeah, we're on Acast and all that, and Apple and other places, and loads of. Do people still use just one? I found myself having podcasts. I don't know why. Spread across three different podcast providers. I listen to some on Spotify, some on Pocket Cast, some on I've got Apple, some on Acast, and I think it's all based on how the link got sent to me by somebody who suggested it, and I can't okay. and I can't go back. That's interesting. Yeah, because all mine are sort of. I mean. You're Apple, aren't you? It's homogenized. Yeah, I, I, all of my all of my stuff has been homogenized into. Well, I do. There's the only stuff that I listen to on Spotify is the stuff what is exclusive to Spotify. I've listened and to the Barack Obama and uh, Bruce Springsteen one. Not yet, although it is ex- extremely up my strasser. That's what it's pretty. It, it's a little bit cringy in parts. There's bits in it where the music is, starts yeah. playing in the background while they're talking and stuff. Oh, so but it's good. And it is a bit of that kind of, I mean, there's a lot of bromance between leading American men, which I'm, I'm here for. Listen to it all. Yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. It's worth a Play listen. Yeah. It's worth a listen. Uh, yeah, we're also on patreon.com slash blood and mood where you can get yourself a membership Murr. and get extra stuff. I do apologise. Two weeks ago, I said I'd put the shortlist up for voting uh, for oh, yeah. vo- on, on the team of the 90s centre. Now, I'm not lying to you, right, <laughs> listeners? I wrote that post, I compiled the poll, and it's never yeah. been posted. I think I walked away from it. You know that thing in work sometimes <laughs> where you write an email and you think you've sent it at 9 o'clock in the morning, then you find it open oh, yeah, a yeah. window at half five at night. Yeah, I think I've yeah, done, that, done that, but, so not, but not got to the half five at night bit. Night bit. 
So I do apologise. We will get that sorted this week and sort of get a date sorted because we've been a bit slack on the old Patreon content. I'm not going to lie to you. We have a little bit. So we thank you for being for sticking around. I did do a Rugby Life interview with a lovely guy called James Stafford yesterday, so that'll be going out. He's written oh, a book yeah, yeah, on the yeah. history of Welsh rugby. Lovely bloke, very interesting chat. So that'll be going out soon. But we will get a team of the 90s on the on the go again. Um, I'm just filling time now because we've got no VIPs this week. At least I don't um, think we have. If you if you if you've signed up and I've not <laughs> they might, noticed, I might have slipped through the net. Yeah, yeah. You so might have one of those. He's up. The, sometimes when the people up their contribution, it, you, it's not the notifications not so it? good. Yeah. So please just let me know. Some people have suggested on the weeks where we've got nobody, could we go back into the kind of original gangster lineup and pick one of them for the name treatment? But I'll be honest. Yeah, we probably could do. We could do yeah. that, but there's only so much imagination me and you have got. If we're having to go backwards. I was going to say. You you can probably tell listeners that you know we're starting to run out of a little bit of steam. It's becoming scrapings now. now. Scrapings. We've we've done a lot of this now. Like we've probably done about forty or fifty like people now in total with all this. Yeah, it's quite hard to do forty or fifty thing funny things. You know. I know this is a bit, you a know... Bit, they're all basically the same thing. It's absolutely a fucking first world problem whinge. Right. But I'm just saying, like, we're, we're you know... Maybe so I think you should keep going, keep going just to see how desperately bad we can get. You know, we, maybe we can end up yeah. like the Simpsons are now, you know, where it's just generally a bit <laughs> shit, but we'll just keep going anyway. But everybody's happy for it to carry on because, you know, it's keeping people well, in jobs. You know, yeah. define everybody, but yeah, I'll see what well, you're saying. Yeah. I'll see what you're saying. <laughs> so thanks very much to everybody just, who is at Page. Go on, Josh. I was just gonna say, just let us have the you know the more weeks off you give us, the more chance you are you give us to recharge our funny brains. Oh yeah, I mean, imagine, you know, if you give us a couple of weeks, the comedy stuff gold. We'll have next time. Yeah, comedy imagine gold. The brilliant stuff we'll have by next time. Now it'll be off the chain. <laughs> right then, <laughs> so patreon.com slash blood and mud. Give us your support. We very much appreciate mm-hmm. it. We've had quite a few people on the two pound in the past few weeks, and that never goes unnoticed. Hopefully, you've had an email off me. If you haven't, I'll Silly get round to that soon. Quite a lot to do, you know. I did a football podcast last week on 1982 Aston Villa. That took a lot of fucking energy. Incredibly underrated exactly. team, by the way. I was going to say, you don't, you know, stats and knowledge about Aston Villa in the 80s doesn't just fall out of a brain. Yeah, there was no opta then. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. Plus, you know, in, the 80, in 1981, I was five. And I wasn't yeah. exactly watching a lot <laughs> of football, too. I'll be honest. Anyway, shall we start as we always begin with a player spotted, Josh? I think better, right? Yeah. Ewan Carmichael DMs on the Twitter. He says, Hi, lads. Hello, Ewan. I have a tale of a reverse player spotted similar to Alex last week. I like these complex ones, these Inception style player spotted. I like it. I'm absolutely here for it. As a Scottish fan of a certain vintage, I remember Brian Redpath's Twilight at international level, so I was excited Mm. to see his son playing for us this season. Listening to Cameron in an interview talk about his childhood in France and England. He was born in France, Cameron Redpath. Could have played for France yeah. as well. Could have had leprosy now if he'd, if he'd taken that option. <laughs> um, so, yeah, listening to his interview about childhood in France and England as a result of his dad's job made me wonder, what is Brian up to these days? Ewan was wondering. Yeah, what is Brian up to well, these days? Well, Ewan says, I knew he was a coach for a bit, but hadn't heard anything recently, so decided to do a quick Google. Wikipedia wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. So I looked further down the list, and there was his LinkedIn, Brian Redpath LinkedIn. Oh, rugby player, rugby player slash coach. 
LinkedIn. So well, I click on it. Fun, fun and games. I yeah. click on it, says Ewan. Turns out he's been working in some sort of financial company since leaving Gloucester. Okay, okay. I thought, he says. That's appeased my curiosity, and on I'll go with my day. Two minutes later, I get a notification. Somebody has viewed your profile. Uh-oh. I click on it, and Brian Redpath have viewed my LinkedIn profile, says Ewan. Oh, shit. Is he one of those LinkedIn power users? He must be, yeah. What do I do now, says Ewan? Do I send a link request to an ex-captain of Scotland who's probably just thought I was an old teammate or something? Who knows? I didn't, but I thought it interesting that Brian is so on top of his LinkedIn. Certain sectors, people just love that. Like, I've got LinkedIn, right? So have I. Fucking LinkedIn's. I don't know why. I, I I can literally not tell you a single positive career benefit that I've had out of having a LinkedIn beyond... You just get mithered like, by people you don't want to do, yeah. offering to sell you shit and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, absolutely... Like, I can't... Like, not a single thing. My you just get mithered by no you way... and Carmichael trying to find out what you're doing now. <laughs> Aside from using it to snoop on people, I don't see the point of it at all. Which you can't but, do, can you, unless you pay for the monthly subscription and go incognito or something. You can't properly look at it, but if they're a sort of a connection of a connection or whatever, then you can usually see them. What and I was finding also, is I like looking back at people and going, are you still doing that fucking job? I worked with you 16 years ago. <laughs> this has clearly been updated. You are still in that job. I always find that quite fascinating. Also, top tip, uh, listeners, if you you don't, you can turn off the thing where it tells people what you, that you've looked at their profile. I thought you had to pay for that one. No, you can just turn it off. It's in the settings because oh. you don't want to. You don't want to go sort of stalking an ex-colleague. And then they see that you've what been you fucking looking I wasn't stalking anybody. I was just looking at some <laughs> of the people I used to work with. I'm just speaking it from, from my, you know, perspective and my experience, you know. If you're saying, what's that fucking prick doing now? Oh, God. Can you, can you add new skills to people a... you don't like? Being a twat. <laughs> Passive, aggressive office behaviour. I endorse Back that with... skill. Back when I first got LinkedIn, I sort of assumed that it was a bit of a laugh like all other social medias and like endorsed uh, a sort of a friend of mine, but not like a particularly close friend of mine for animal husbandry as one of her core skills. She works for Witch Magazine now, I think. So, I mean, it wasn't one of her core skills, but on reflection was probably a bit of an unprofessional thing to do <laughs> and she probably didn't appreciate it. But I I thought it was quite funny. I've done some self-reflection on this. <laughs> and I, think... I mean, at the time, I just thought it was funny. But, I mean, on reflection, maybe she, she didn't. There's a great um, Twitter account called The State of LinkedIn or The Absolute mm, State yes. of LinkedIn, which has some great oh, stuff that. on there, some of the shit that people peddle. So many liars in this world, John. So many of them. <laughs> The and lying about really so shit strong. stuff. Really shit stuff to lie about. Like lying sales about really... or something. Stuff that doesn't affect... Lying give any... about having a really mediocre sort of 7.5 out of 10 successful life when you've actually got like a 6 out of 10 successful yeah, life. Yeah, and that's fine. Embrace it. It's fine. Exactly. Embrace mediocrity. It's fine. So, honestly, I've never thought to look at rugby player or ex-rugby player's LinkedIn's. It's a lot of fun. I've been there. You've yeah, we have talked about this, haven't we? I've not done it, maybe, but I do. Maybe I think we, we have, might need yeah. to get involved. I think we we did it on live on air 
one day. I can't remember why, <laughs> which absolutely sums up everything we do. But um, yeah, tell us who you. By all means, get in touch with your favorite rugby player LinkedIn. Because... See what you get back. See the view yeah. your profile. I mean, he works for a financial company, Brian Redbrath. He was probably trying to see if UN was solvent enough to make a sales approach. Hundred percent. Yeah, he was looking. For, you know, he probably uses LinkedIn in the way that people, you know, those power users on LinkedIn do to try and like get clients and shit. Whereas I just yeah, as people said, keep telling me how important LinkedIn is, and it it just is. I think it, is it only in certain sectors? Do you think? I think it must be in certain. It's very important if you're in recruitment. I'm guessing. Yeah. But like Imagine other being than in that, that oof, treatment. Don't even don't even. So thank you very much, you and if you've got any uh, you know, if you've got any any of these really odd ones where people text you thinking that you're somebody else, like last week, or <laughs> random LinkedIn sort of reverse follow backs or something, whatever you want to call that, I don't know. Yeah. Then Fill get in, in touch. Now we have had a discussion in the past few weeks, Josh, about rugby journeymen and who the ultimate rugby journeyman is, and people have been suggesting a few, haven't they? Yes. Now, we've they said are. you've got to divide the um, length of the career by the number of clubs to get the journeyman percentage yes. or the journeyman rating. Yes. The, the nearer to one you are, that's a hell of a journeyman because that's one club per yeah. year, basically. If you're yeah. over one, oof, oof. You are a Next despicable person who nobody can stand to have around. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, just say something about your character. Chris Ashton's getting it. If not for some long stints at Saracens and Northampton early in his career, Chris Ashton would be edging into that. He would, wouldn't he? Uh, yeah. Jack Hurst gets in touch because he spotted this one. He said, "He's. I'm suggesting Wendelay Mjikevu. Yeah. Who has a journeyman rating of 0.91. He's currently Jesus at Toulouse. Christ. He's currently at Toulouse. He's got a journeyman rating of 0.91, including a period mid-career with an amateur team and four teams between 2016 and 2017. I mean, that's just... So let me, read, let me read it. He started his career in 2010. He played for the 10 appearances for the Lions, four appearances for the Golden Lions 15s, six for the Sharks, mm-hmm. 36 at Perpignan, 13 for the Sharks, 11 for the Curry for the Southern Kings, three yeah. for the Sharks again, three for Eastern Province uh, Kings. I love it when they play for several teams a couple of times over. It's yeah. like, oh, well, should we just get back and back? And then, from, right, and then weirdly out of nowhere, gets signed by Toulouse and has made 12 appearances for them and scored 20 points. I mean, it just shows that anybody can sort of slot into that Toulouse team if you need to. You know? What was it about the Toulouse scout that looked at this man and thought, he is the, is he the Aled Brew of the top fourteen? He can but dream of <laughs> yeah, such what an accolade. Am I thinking of? What I mean, he does seem to be having a late a late career renaissance, though. So you know, Chris Ashton, by maybe, the way, has only got a, a journeyman score of two point three three. Two point three three—that's massive. You calculated that wrong. Oh, a journeyman score, Chris Ashton. Yeah. Yes, because he's only had six clubs in like thirteen years. Just feels like he's been. Oh, I've got this wrong way around. Then you have to do number of clubs divided by the length of the career. Oh, sorry, number of clubs divided by length of career. Right. Okay, then. So isn't his score is not point four three? Yeah, absolutely bog standard journeyman percentile is that. So if you can think of anybody who can beat, I can't remember his name now. When Delay Mjikevu, 
to lose Wenger for a journeyman rating Absolutely. and get in touch. Don't make Josh's mistake by calculating it wrong. Think about it, no. work it through, check your work, and then email us. Yeah, understand the formula. Don't make my mistakes. Josh is a music journalist. He doesn't have to do maths much. Yeah, I don't have to worry about maths. None of us have to do maths. We've all got calculators on our Apart phones. from trying to maybe, you know, work out the trajectory of how long the career will last for. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna, talking to people who stand up, speak out or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. So then, shall we do some news? I think we probably should, yeah. The big news is, and I'm not going to sing, I was going to sing, but then Andy Bradshaw has said that I shouldn't sing. And I'm upset now. Oh. I'm never singing in public again. That's not true. I wanted you to sing. I'm not going to sing. I assumed you would, to be honest. I didn't even sort of give no, it a I second. I put the video out there. Assumed. I did the recording two years ago predicting this was going to happen. So <laughs> it's tr- It is true. We did. You know, we spoke about this a lot over the last year. And it's finally happened. So the news is, is that obviously Cardiff Blues are no more. They're simply going back to being Cardiff Rugby Club. <laughs> Well, they're well, they're actually Cardiff Rugby now. Just Cardiff Rugby, and, like Benetton. Yeah, and Cardiff like RFC will still exist as the Rags team. Oh, proper going back in time. Honestly, I get it. Most Cardiff fans have wanted this back, right? But more than anything, it just feels like a desperate attempt to sort of attract the forty-something fans who the Blues think don't like watching rugby because they're not called Cardiff anymore. And have been alienated by this somehow. I don't think anybody. I think it's mainly just the people who are there want it to be back to Cardiff. And fair enough. Like, I suppose yeah. if that's what the members want, I suppose they've got a big membership, Cardiff, haven't they? So. Yeah, big the Cardiff Athletic Club, who obviously own the ground and exerted an inordinate amount of power <laughs> over Cardiff Blues, the entity, um, have sort of wanted this to happen for a while. So. Uh, yeah, you know, they get their wish. And it kind of confirms what everybody always knew anyway, was that Cardiff don't give a fuck about being a region. And, we're ha- like, they don't represent the Valleys. It never has been, it never will be. And, you know, this formalises it finally once and for all. And it's not again, really a problem, but... is it? Does Cardiff well, City represent the Valleys? No. If the issue is that I have is that and that I know that, you know, is that they are still going to be responsible for administering rugby, you know, and being the sort of top of the spout, I guess, for, you know, that every all sort of that of, area, yeah, all of that area while actively saying that they are just a club, Cardiff club. And, you know, that doesn't make any difference with 
you can argue that you know Cardiff City are happy to you know nobody from the valleys gives a fuck about somebody going and playing for Cardiff City if they're from fucking Ponty or they're on the or whatever. But it is different with rugby in Wales. You know, it is a much more localized game. There's a lot more local clubs, and you know, let's face it, a lot of that blue squad, you know, Jared Evans, Thomas Williams, you know, two most their most important two most important examples. You could argue both. You know. Come from Ponty and come from eleven uh, miles up the road. Unbelievable. Yeah, Ponty and Triorki or whatever. And you know, at least there was a, a sort of lip service to the fact that they might, in some way, be. But I, I remember I, in two thousand eight, right when I was doing my journalism postgrad, I did a project where I interviewed various people at Ponty and the Blues and at supporters clubs about that relationship between the Blues and the Valleys, which at that point was only about three or four years old. Yeah. And it was toxic and horrible. <laughs> but everyone, like, both at Cardiff and in the various supporters clubs and at Ponty sort of imagined that, you know, in a decade or so's time, people would have forgotten about that shit. And new fans would have come in and people, you know, kids wouldn't care about these sort of things. And I still think the kids don't give a fuck, frankly. But there is no doubt that that has not changed. It has been, you know, if anything, more toxic and more problematic and more tedious. Is it not just a small group of very loud voices, though? Yeah, exactly. But those the problem is that most of those loud voices are involved in either, you know, that the the Cardiff CF whatever it is supporters club or are involved in the Athletic Club, or both. And the Athletic Club owns the fucking Blues ground, so they are small and loud, and they exert a huge amount of power over the region. I know a lot of Blues fans who don't give a fuck, and I know a lot of Blues fans who'd be just really glad for it to go back to Cardiff. And so, yeah, you know, fair play to them. Should they still be also involved with sort of administering rugby in the Valleys after this? I don't think so. I think it's probably time to give their, you know, feeder clubs to the Ospreys or the Dragons or somebody else that sort of wants them and let them just be Cardiff again, if that's what they really I want. I think but, the whole feeder club thing is a nonsense anyway. I mean, the end of the, what I'm saying is, is that every club is a feeder club for whoever fancies signing somebody. Exactly. You know, and that's the other side of it. You know, it's, it's, it's the whole notion that, you know, premiership clubs act as sort of feeder teams to the regions have been kind of kiboshed by the introduction of those regional A teams a couple of years ago anyway, so it kind of doesn't matter. But it's, yeah. But I think your point, underlying your point is, this is a huge announcement to the people that it's a huge announcement to, is the feeling I get. It's exactly that. Yeah, it's a big deal to the people who really cared, and everybody else is like, eh. Part of me goes, well, I hope it makes you all happy. Because to be honest, from, from a kind of <laughs> yeah. for, for that certain type of people from up the valleys who hate it all anyway, it doesn't really matter what the fuck it's called. They're fighting a battle for something completely different. They want to. They don't even. Yeah, they don't want to be. I don't want to come. I don't want to come anyway, across whatever as. Whatever it's called. I don't want to come across as Owen here. I, I I don't give a fuck. I don't really care. Yes. But I do think it's. Yeah, it's it confirms what everybody always knew, and yeah, you know. My mate, who was a is a lifelong Ponty fan, just sent me a message that said Cardiff Rugby. Then full stop, cunts. 
<laughs> which, <laughs> well, that'd be what it, but, yeah. which, which be yeah, you know, as how he's felt all along, because he's an embittered and disenfranchised Ponty fan, and that was never going to change. And I completely, him? huh? I wonder why you're friends what? with him. I'm a great friend of the bitter and disenfranchised. You know that. <laughs> not a Ponty fan, though. Uh, I'll be honest about that no, point very that. strongly, don't you? <laughs> um, but yeah, you know that. It's it's been you know nearly twenty years now. Yeah, it's very, very clear, very it's, long time, hasn't it? Yeah, you know they're just turning around and tearing up twenty years of history. Some of the most successful years the Blues, <laughs> the Cardiff have ever had, just for a branding exercise. You hate to see that. No, I'm getting um, no, but like it's not going to change. Like we're tw- twenty years into it, and the bitterness and the resentment and the hostility and the I will never be a blueness of it from all sides is just as bitter as it was in 2004 and 2005 so honestly let's just you know it's a it's a conscious uncoupling or whatever it is they'll both the only be thing happier that ironically united them is the fact that neither of them wanted it to be called the blues or anything to do with it didn't they it's funny yeah basically it's it was a name that nobody liked and yeah it's it's these two sides of all of this will be happier apart than they are together, I think. And we'll leave it at that. So, next up in the news, uh, Fabian Galtier um, <laughs> went to watch his son play rugby, and that's why there's going to be no tournament now. First of all, yeah, yeah, right. So he went to watch his fucking son play rugby. That's why this has happened. <laughs> do you remember when? Uh, do you remember the con? Do you remember the Costa Concordia when that fucking sunk? Yes. And that captain, he seemed like the biggest twat on the earth. It, then we heard that he, he he basically pushed like women and children out of the way to get on a lifeboat. Yeah, and, and it was said, the least surprising thing ever. And when he said to him, well, what happened? He said, oh, we are, I didn't mean to. I was trying to help the children on. And then I fell into the lifeboat and landed on my back and couldn't get up in time before the lifeboat was dispatched. It is just like, yeah, this has got serious Costa Concordia captain vibes about this. <laughs> Also, I'll tell you what, what else does is France players going to go and get some waffles on the morning of the game <laughs> against Italy in Rome, which just, I mean, that's the thing. It's not just, it's not just, you know, the head coach disappears for reasons that I'm sure will, are totally innocent and are just about wanting him wanting to go and see his son play rugby, which he definitely couldn't have done on telly. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it's just that. Uh, that's what you know. That's bad enough. But then you've got players also just going. Should we go for breakfast, lads? I mean, petit déjeuner. Oh, la COVID. <laughs> no, petit déjeuner. Do you think that France stay in a hotel where? The staff will not make them waffles. And I mean, and you know, so, we, we live in a delivery age. Yeah. Could they not have got them busting? You know, could they, how how good are these waffles that it's worth breaking quarantine for? You know, and I've been all the day. I like a waffle as much. If the Italians could charge you fifty quid to deliver it, they'll do it. Absolutely. Also, Italians not famous for their waffles. If they were playing Belgium, I'd say, fucking hell, lads, crack on. Belgian waffles are great. 
But percent beer much... and Belgian waffles to my room, please. <laughs> is it? You know, was it that their French team weren't allowed to have waffles because it's bad for them? So they snuck out and went and got waffles because that's even worse. It's just it's there's so much. Honestly, at a minimum, surely Scotland have to be given the fucking win for this now. I do think the Six Nations. Bu- this is some bullshit, board or whatever you want to call it. Need to grow, grow some minerals and actually go. You know what? Yeah, you fuck this completely, and we're not yeah. spending the next six months fucking comparing diaries, sending a do poll round to thirty-seven different people <laughs> to see if they can all get a date. Not a fucking chance, pal. What's the thing? Their first, their initial suggested time was fucking what the week before the, the week of the first Lions tour game. Yeah, so the Six Nations wouldn't complete until the, the, the squad was already together, which means we couldn't actually talk about the squad until the squad had been yeah. collect, connected. It's, I know, we thought which that would have through. been a bizarre situation. Never mind situation. everything else they're going to fuck up. They're going to fuck up <laughs> our chance no. to talk about the Lions. Yeah. Never mind the likes of fucking Finn Russell and Stuart Hogg and Evan, you know the other Scottish players who have a very good shout of being on a Lions tour this time around, having to decide, do you want to play in a potential Six Nations title decider for Scotland or do you want to go on a Lions tour? You know, it was just absurd. You have to feel like they're just kicking the can down the road for as long as they can before. You know, like yeah, Boris Johnson stop. with his lockdowns, and I'll just wait until I absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. cannot have any other reason cannot. to say it has to happen. <laughs> That's what I want to do with this game, isn't it? I do. F- I feel like they want to wait until France-Wales has happened now. Because if Wales beat France, then they could just be like, ah, oh, fuck it, we'll play it whenever, lads. Doesn't really matter. Uh, but if France beat Wales, then it's a problem. I mean, France-Wales is the last game of the tournament. It's a long way to go before yeah, you're saying you're not going to exactly. rearrange something, isn't it? That's the thing. They can say that they're going to keep... They're looking for dates, but I ultimately think the date will be decided dependent on if Wales beat France and France therefore aren't going to win the title, then, ah, fuck it, you can just put it in, you know, sometime in June and it doesn't really matter and it's kind of a meaningless game. Whereas if it's France, Scotland, and the winner will win the title or win a, potentially win a Grand Slam, then they're going to have to get it fucking done sooner rather than later, aren't they? Yes. As you say, they're putting it they're putting it off in the hope that Wales make their lives easier. <laughs> yes, this <laughs> is basically what it is. But as you say, you know they uh, just fucking grow up here. Just give you know. You fucked this. They, I think the other, the flip side of it also is that they are waiting for the French government to complete their independent investigation into all this. Because it could be that the French government does the Six Nations job for them and withdraws France from the tournament. Which... Here's a question for you. Is Bernard Laporte now officially the biggest cunt in rugby? <laughs> He's up there, isn't he? He's really up because... there, isn't he? All that stuff in Lakeep this week about how he was, you know, gagging the players and staff and telling them that whatever happens, you know, there's no way that Galtier will be sacked. And so in discord the among the squad co- and everything. Huge discord amongst the squad and everybody. And there's loads of, you know, mistrust and suspicion and factions. And seriously, if he's, his arrogance and stupidity has ruined this generation of French players after having already ruined the last generation of French players... <laughs> I mean, honest, and yet somehow, and also indulging in some extremely dubious shit that he has yet to have had his day in court about. 
um, regarding the 2023 Rugby World Cup and his dealings with Mohamed Altrad. If he somehow just continues on in all of this, I could only just assume that that bald head is just actually made of Teflon. It's the only explanation. It's incredible, isn't it? Well, it's the, the political connections that man must have her. Uh... It doesn't Honestly. even. It doesn't even. You can't even start to get into it, can you? They sent, but they sent fucking Sarkozy to prison today. Like, or not? Or not? Well, you say, well, th- this this prison. is deserving home of prison, prison. Nicola. <laughs> However, don't worry, you won't be going. Yeah, you can just stay in for a couple of years. All right. Yeah. But <laughs> you, you, Sarkozy getting time fucking... already served during the lockdown. That's convenient, isn't it? <laughs> Sarkozy getting fucking banged to rights. You know, sent down for dodgy shit. You know, the president of the whole fucking country gets done, but somehow Bernard Laporte just just sails through, amazing, <laughs> untouched, unblemished, undamaged by all of the damage that he's wrought, both politically and on the field, over the last decade. Remarkable stuff. You got to admire it in a weird way. An invisibility cloak, like yeah. a fucking Klingon politician. <laughs> He fucking is clinging on as well. Well, hey, now then. Shall we talk about what's been in the news a lot for the past couple of days? The abuse that Sonia McLaughlin has had after the post-match <sighs> interview. Now, I have to start from a base point here, which I always make and I'll make again. All post-match interviews are fucking terrible and the equivalent of questioning a cat about why they can't be bothered trying to bark. It's fucking <laughs> pointless. Stupid, nobody wants to do it, yeah, and you'll be judged on all of it all the time. And how I don't know what it adds yeah. in anyway, well, whatsoever. Post, all all post match, all post match interviews are are tomorrow morning headline generators, yes, and this evening headline generators. I have it's to a load of cock, do my best to kind of write them out as they're being done when I'm on The Guardian. Mm. And I could literally copy and paste five stock phrases for every single person who's. Either the happy stock phrases or the sad stock phrases because you've just lost. It's always the same. So it's just, yeah. And almost it doesn't matter what questions are asked, the answers are always the same anyway. So so I will say from that point yeah, of view, to be why honest, people as, get as so fucking going... upset about something so utterly pointless and inane, I don't know. But it mm-hmm. seems that people do. So let's have a conversation about yes. it. Go on. Let's. I mean, um, proof of that is, you know, the answers that both Owen Farrell and Alwyn Jones gave to Sonia McLaughlin after that game, where she was, you know, her line of questioning with both players was pretty over the line, I thought, to just like, what do you expect him to say to these things now? You know, there's leading questions and then there's just going well, I think this is wrong. You must agree with me, don't you? You know, Paxman-level sort of badgering. And it, I know she's there to do a job, and she will say that she is there to ask the difficult questions, but as they both demonstrated, you're never going to get a genuine answer out of that. You're just going to get a slightly more terse and slightly more sp- spiky version of the same generic bollocks. What I don't understand is... And I don't understand this because I don't work in it, but I'm assuming there's an editorial conversation before these interviews start around what do we want to go for here? What mm. what's the what's the main subject? Or is it up to the interviewer to go, these are the main questions and therefore I'm asking them? I don't know is the answer. But if it 
I get a feeling yeah. there must be an editorial discussion about what they want to cover. You'd imagine. And there's words there'd in the ears, isn't there? Yeah. You've got to say, like, oh, ask him that again, push it again, or don't ask, or whatever. But um, I think that, I think more than anything, and, and let's be honest, right? Undoubtedly, it wasn't a great collection of interviews, but also undoubtedly, no. she gets far more fucking shit than anybody else when they have a slight, when things don't go quite so, so well. Yeah. It's absolute fucking horse cock how that is, you know, and how obvious it is as well. Because, and part of it is because nobody ever fucking watches rugby except for doing the Six Nations where it's generally on one of the BBC or ITV. And so, but, you know, nobody ever has a go at the fucking ITV post-match guy, do they? No, and nobody has a go at Jiffy's continually inexplicable oh fucking career, do they? You know what I mean? Nobody's asking him and one th- all if, kinds of shit. There's one one thing that I have, I have a fucking issue with about BBC, you know, Six Nations broadcasting, it's pretty much everything but, you know, Sonia, you know, Sonia McLaughlin would be at the in back of the queue. Yeah, she's a footnote in the problem. The list of things of that I would yeet into the fucking sun. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. Like, honestly, the state of BBC's entire punditry and broadcast team is a fucking shambles. To a man, they're so complacent. Like, just to a man, clueless, fucking poorly prepared, hot tape munching dickheads. With the exception, it must be said, of Sam Warburton, who is very good, but when he's on the BBC, you can tell that he's surrounded by so much stupidity that he feels awkward telling everyone how wrong they are. So he <laughs> just drifts into the sort of banal bollocks that he doesn't do when he's on BT. It feels a lot like when... And the weird thing is, is is that when when they lost a test cricket in the early 90s and everyone was up in arms, it's only ever been on the BBC. And then Channel 4 started broadcasting. Mm. We were like, fucking hell, do you mean cricket could be covered like this? Jesus, you mean we've not just got some people droning on and, and just these people who, like you said, so comfortable and no innovation or anything like that. The weird, I understood it about the test cricket because, one, it was the fucking 80s and 90s. Two, mm. they had no competition. But the weird thing is the BBC must know that people are coming after them. And yet, demonstrably, ITV were much better on Saturday. And ITV aren't exactly yeah. amazing, but genuinely, ITV were much better on Saturday. Genuinely, ITV, like, I've noticed it more, this Six Nations, I think. But like ITV's punditry and commentary and the whole fucking thing, to be honest, has been so much better than the BBC's. And yet, when the sort of the Wales Online's of this world do the surveys of like broadcasters and which broadcasters they find the best for watching rugby and all this sort of stuff. Invariably, everybody always says that BBC's the best and that their favourite commentators are Brian Moore and Eddie Butler. And it's like, you know, of, of BBC's bad batch, Brian Moore's pretty good, I yeah, think, he's to be right, honest. Moore, actually, yeah. But everybody, you know, Eddie, I've, and I've got a soft spot for Eddie Butler just because he's nakedly fucking chewing scenery the second that he gets on that mic and he's having a good time and fine. But like everything else is so poor. Like everyone that they get in the studio, you know, with the exception of Paul O'Connell, who's now gone on to do fucking more important things when he, and he was decent last year, but he's found something better to do. You know, Guskett is terrible. Fucking Martin Johnson is one of the worst... The only thing that he's worse at than punditry is being fucking head coach of England. And 
like every person that they seem to get on there, you think, fucking hell, where have they un- you know unearthed this fucking fossil from? It 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 feels like match of the day before match of the day got a rocket up its arse when Sky started doing better stuff than them. And they realised they had to actually start doing proper fucking analysis instead of just letting fucking mm. Lawrence and bang on about the same shit he banged on about for 20 years. James Stafford interviewed him on It's Sunday. just not good. He's a big NFL fan and he's, he actually tweeted as well and he said, he was saying, how, how do the top, bra- top broadcasters not have an expert on the laws in the studio to clarify this stuff when it comes up? To yeah. actually educate the pundits as B- well, as, as he says here. because BT does. Because instead, instead you get pundits guessing and then the public takes a cue from their guesses and then that's what dominates the conversation for the next 24 hours. Yeah. The problem is, though, if you made that suggestion to BBC, the BBC now, they just have Nigel Owens. <laughs> a man who, by his own admission, has never read the rules of rugby and just picked it up as he went along. And, you know... <laughs> He was a very good ref in his day, so he, you know, it, he is a testament to learning through doing. But at the same time, no, but I don't think that that's true. I think he's lying through his teeth about this. Absolutely lying through his teeth about it because it suits I his hope brand. He is. Being, this is that this is who I am, and I don't really think about it too much. I just live rugby and feel rugby and let it let it he, he's let it work rugby's around jazz referee. And I, and yeah basically yeah <laughs> i just freestyle it you must be like bruce lee you must be like water when you're refereeing rugby you know it's just all fucking nonsense of course you read because you have to sit some fucking exams don't you you prick do you know what i mean it's, stop also, lying and treat I, think all like fucking, I think how many fucking powerpoint presentations on law interpretations you must have had to have sat through it's just, yeah, it's just quite But, blatant, you know, he's yeah. he is a man that doesn't, you know, even if he has looked at the rules and he's exaggerating, he's a man that doesn't really care about the rule book. And no. that's, but he's the he's the expert that they get in. Like, because BT do this occasionally, but they get Wayne Barnes in, and Wayne Barnes fucking knows his shit and is a lawyer. So yeah. <laughs> he generally gives you a very reasoned argument one way or the other. Do you know what, though? I would rather have Nigel doing that than whatever the blue fuck that oh fucking chat between him and Jiffy was at halftime on Saturday. That was fucking horrific. Why do they keep going Honestly. to this farm every week? Scott Quinnell was there two weeks ago. <laughs> it's because, unlike the reason that they said for having it on there, which is LGBT, I noticed they missed the Q and the plus. Um, Awareness Month, and fine, but like, I don't know, it's like, it feels, there there are more gay rugby players, and more, there are more gay people in rugby than Nigel fucking Owens, and it, it felt really kind of, like, tokenistic, and a bit sort of, just... Half arsed that they go, Oh, oh, we're supposed to think about the, the gays and that this month. Should we just get Jiffy to go and interview Nige about that time that he tell you came out you... of a clo- literally came out of a closet on his television program? Yeah, yeah. and, like, and how, genuine but, but none fucking... of it should be compromising the hashtag banter. Yeah, no, no matter what you do, the banter is the most important thing. People who come into rugby and say you shouldn't be saying that about people don't understand the banter. 
Nigel said so. <laughs> they don't understand the hashtag bands. So. Uh, see, the thing is, if it was not just if it was Nige and you know somebody significantly younger than him, and who was also you know LGBT on you know on the other side instead of fucking Jiffy. What the fuck is Jiffy doing there? Honestly, like. Levi Davis is the obvious one, isn't he? Well, Levi Davis, you know, or um, what's his face? Elna Snowsill, the Wales uh, women's player who Mm. who sort of publicly came out as being gay like earlier this season and who is very good on camera and is genuinely excellent. You know, I kind of feel like those sorts of people might have challenged some of the fucking nonsense that he was coming out with. Because he's never, you know, he exists in a bubble of the fact that he was already the most famous, you know, one of the most famous people in Welsh rugby and the most famous referee in the world when he decided to come out. So he was insulated from so much of that. And I don't know, I just, I just, I felt it was a wasted opportunity. I, I really did. Even if they got fucking Alfie, I know Alfie works for fucking ITV, and Alfie would probably take a lot of the same points as he would. At least they have very different experiences of the whole thing. And he's very clear that homophobia is still a massive problem. Yeah, and that's the other thing, is that Alfie doesn't fucking excuse the constant homophobia that is ever-present in life and rugby. It's, ugh, yeah. Yeah, but awful. And please just stop featuring him all the time. Yeah, I know he's. I know he's kind of, you know, saleable and uh, you know, and is a decent broadcaster and all that stuff. But honestly, he's turning into a mascot, which is kind yeah. of not good. It's good for him, but yeah, but, you know, it's good for him. Good for his that, fucking bank balance. Yeah. Uh, Any more? Yeah, news? the whole thing. Uh, yes, uh, Billy Holland is retiring. Uh, absolute contender for the Yorso Club Fifteen. Oh. Yeah. Is the Munster All lock. Forty fourteen years uh, at Munster, two hundred and forty one appearances, one island cap Brilliant. against Canada. It's against all there. Canada. That's the every best part. Single, it's he's perfect. hitting every single point of what you want from a you're so <laughs> Hall of Fame member. Uh, and, you know, classic, just an honest, hard working pro. Yes. Not the most physically talented, just a fucking a grafter. The kind um, of and the only other news is, yeah, exactly. The kind of people that you you want standing next to you, You're not in a sort of international team, but you know, certainly a <laughs> just club generally level. when you go shopping, have yeah. <laughs> yeah, a reassuring presence, big lad. Um, yeah, the last thing though, um, the Ospreys have hired a man called Nick Garcia, who sounds like he's a con man from The Simpsons. Yes, um, but apparently, but apparently, uh, he's their new CEO. Um, I have no idea, but apparently he used to be a director at Man City, um, which is probably better at running a sports team than Andrew Millwood is. So you'd have to I'm think so. Take it, as a positive. it depends what period of Man City he was running, because uh, no, he was running the good. He was in. He was basically in charge of the whole. You know how Man City have all those like feeder clubs, like in Melbourne and America, New York and, City, and all that. New York City and Melbourne City and various other ones. He was in charge of that whole thing. 
Yeah. He, he, Man, he seems, didn't come cheap. I was going to say, he seems extremely overqualified you to be You have to think he may be left under a cloud that nobody wants to talk about. <laughs> he's had to come and hide away in South Wales. Uh, but yeah, this is part of this, you know, the new owners who uh, came in last year, um, sort of transforming the business from top to bottom. And yeah, you know, he's going to be responsible for... There was a lot of talk of franchises in his... Uh, the announcement. So I think that they're going to do that thing. Remember when Saracens a couple of years ago just like sort of had all these feeder clubs all over the place mm-hmm. and they like had Seattle Saracens and they had Timosaurus Saracens and all that. I kind of feel like that's where we're going. And I mean, yeah. You have to assume his networking he, skills are better than Kingsley Jones, obviously. Probably. He's only 45 and he looks like somebody sort of stuck Barry Hearn in a, a sort of squidging machine and made him slightly sort of longer of face. That's how I'd describe him. Does he look like he takes Flinty a lot li- of cocaine? Flinty little eyes. Looks like he definitely has taken a lot of cocaine. <laughs> at Maybe some that's point why in his life, he even can't if he work doesn't in anymore. football anymore. Yeah. <laughs> no idea if that's true. Not suggesting it's true. Just Absolutely wondering. not. Uh, what does he say? He says, uh, "He says I'm truly honoured to have been chosen to lead the Ospreys in this next phase. He didn't say that. No, he didn't. The Ospreys <laughs> is a pillar of Welsh rugby in the community with an impressive history of success, not recently, and a reputation of innovating to deliver results. All right. What does that mean? Uh, <laughs> what does that mean? Let's apply some fucking... <laughs> let's unpick yeah. that, shall we? <laughs> uh, Nick has a proven track record says James Davis Yandel who's the bloke who effectively owns the Ospreys now uh, at the highest levels of professional sport and has built an impressive reputation for innovation oh god there's that word again um, <laughs> this just sounds like a lot of people are getting sacked I mean yeah so Andrew Millwood has been moved um, I mean I'm going to polite, kindly say he's made a sideways move to chief operating officer uh, charged with leading rugby strategy alongside um, all of the other people they've employed to do that. But um, I, w- I, w- I wouldn't be surprised to see him quietly leave the Ospreys at some point in the next 18 months, is what I'm going to say. He's got big manager of the business energy. Is yep. the reinstatement of the children's horror choir. That's what I Honestly, as soon, as soon as it's safe to do so, I want that choir back in the stadium. In fact, why can't it be safe now? We could have a socially distanced choir, couldn't we? You could put one child in each section. Can you imagine And they that? could just sing. Oh, that'd be absolutely fucking... They could sing, like, what's it called? Like a canticle. The one starts and it kind yeah. of moves around <laughs> hauntingly around the stadium. So you get to feel like, so you get the feeling that it's all closing in on you and you, the world will never be the same again. Indeed. Speaking of the world will never be the same again, uh, Stephen Jones is pleased about the uh, Cardiff rebrand. So, good. Oh, not the Wales attack coach. The, the, no, the, twat with the, the dickhead. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, why do people listen to these people anymore? Why do people care know. what Stephen Jones reckons about anything I don't, anymore? I don't care. I, I don't know why people listen to what we say anymore. Yeah, no, And we are true. a lot yeah. less long in the tooth than some of these dickheads. It's indeed. Right then. Let's see what people, whether people care to listen to what we would like to say about the games from the weekend, shall we? Of which there was only yeah. two or three, but, you know, let's talk about them yeah, anyway. You know. 
I think we've got to yeah. start with a big one, have we? Wales versus England, Josh. <laughs> I think we're gonna have the to jam start. slam is on. The jam the slam, jam slam is I did fucking like it, on. Yeah. Now, there's some uh, rumours that you may have you, you may have created this saying. We think I don't know if I did. I, I'm sure that other people also thought of it, but when we scored that second try, I was just thinking, what, what could we call this? And I thought, jam slam. Jammy and Jammy Slammy together. is it? Jammy yeah, Slam. Jammy and Slammy. Jammy and sl- the Jammy Slammy is uh, the alternative that people put around, which I do also enjoy. I can't tell a lie. <laughs> um, we can't keep getting this lucky, but I'm leaning into it. Like shit houses unite. We're not very good, but we keep getting the rub of the green. Let's ride this train until the fucking wheels sure come off. I'm not sure in the final analysis it's that lucky Saturday, but go on. I mean, yeah. Should we talk about the incidents? Let's talk about the incidents. Go on then. <laughs> Incident one. Yes. Um, the Josh Adams try. Like, don't get me wrong. I would be fuming about this if I was an England fan. And it is slightly because... unusual. It deserves a bit of thought, it... but it is slightly. So go on. Well, because Scorsese effectively enables Wales being sleeky by not sort of drawing attention to it. But frankly, it's not his job to indulge England taking a mid-game water break when, the, like, where they take a breather and bring on tactical instructions from the coaches, which is what was fucking happening when Gorzair had literally just said, go and talk to your team. Like, it's exactly the same energy as the Italy game a few years ago. You know, it's not the ref's job to interpret the laws for you. And it's not his job to wait for you while you time waste under your own posts with the attacking team is ready to go. Like, it's unfair, and I get it, <laughs> but the ref is effectively going, oh, well, Wales, in this case, Italy, back in whenever it was, have found a loophole they can exploit here, and I, as the ref, am going to allow it because it's not against the rules. Like, how long does it take Owen Farrell to go to his team and go, lads, no more fucking penalties, all right? Yeah, like that's and at which point the at which point the forwards usually go fuck off. Yeah, it, you know if I've learned anything about <laughs> playing rugby, especially if it's a back coming over. So yeah, the, 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 the um, you know that you know the five whys analysis. Yes, you say, ask why five up to five times, and usually by the, the third why you realise what the root cause of a problem is. Mm. If you do that with this situation, you soon you soon get to where the root cause of the problem, which is well, you know. Why were they under the posts? Because Owen Farrell called them over. Yeah. And why... Why did Owen Farrell... So, 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 yeah, so why did he call them over and why were the water carriers on? And the answer is, they won't say it, but the answer is, is because we expected him to point at the posts while we had five minutes having a drink it's and getting exa- some advice. It's exactly that. You know... And I get, like, people can say, oh, it's not fair, they weren't, you know, Martin Johnson was apoplectic, they, you know, they weren't ready, and so it was unfair, and so it was terrible refereeing, and it's not in the spirit of the game. Fuck you, rugby is literally a game based around the concept of clever cheating. And this wasn't even cheating, but it's entirely within the spirit of the game to look for loopholes and ways within the rules of the game that you can exploit your advantage against your opposition. And Gauzet, you know, he's got some form for this. He did a very similar thing with Finn Russell, where Finn Russell sort of said to him that he was going to take a quick tap and then looked as if he was going to go for the corner 
and then just took a quick tap and passed it to, I think it's Hugh Jones, and they scored. Mm. I think it was against yeah, Georgia yeah, yeah, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's got you know he's got form for going. Okay, well if an attacking team wants to do something clever here, I'm not going to be the, the sort of party looking, pooper. That's not my problem. Yeah. He didn't do anything to overtly help Wales. He did what he should have done in theory, which was to allow, you know, the game to continue when the attacking team who had the ball wanted the game to continue. Like, you might if if we're going to get pissed off about this, you might as well make any quick tap penalty illegal as well because it's the same thing. It's just a bit more common. You know, you take a quick tap when the opposition is sort of disorganised and you run at them and then. Mad shit happens sometimes. The key indicator of why this was such a massive problem, from an England point of view, actually, is the wingers were in. When have you known the wingers to come into a huddle? Why like the that fuck were the when wingers? There's a penalty what, what, about to happen, and I think they did actually. Why the wingers? They did then wake up. Yeah, well, that's the thing because you can see that when Gaza puts his arm in the air and says "time on," you know, half of that England team are not only facing the ball, but they're starting to spread out across the line because they go, oh, fuck, it's not actually... Yeah, they've suddenly gone, oh, he's not pointing at the post, there's no T coming on, oh, shit, you know. (laughs) Yeah, it's like the blame here probably lies at the feet, as you say, of Owen Farrell and everyone in that team not called George Ford, who assumed, as you said, the bigot would take the points and decided to have a nice little chat under the post in the middle of a test match, which, like, I would be fuming about that as an England fan more than anything else. Like, my, I would obviously be fuming that Gauzaire was a bit sort of cheeky and just allowed Wales to get away with it. But I would also be fuming that my captain and my team could get flat-footed not once, but twice in the same game and concede 14 fucking points because of just switching off when it, like... like, I like, (laughs) I cannot believe it worked twice. Like, it's not like Wales had no form for this either. Like, Bigger tried exactly the same thing, but on the halfway line in 2019, and Adams caught it, but he got... They they were live enough to it that he got bundled into touch. But Wales have a long history of this shit. Mike Phillips versus Ireland, and a variation on literally exactly the same theme when Stephen Jones took that quick tap against Argentina in 2009 and nearly died scoring a try because he had to run in. <laughs> from 30 metres and yet they twice in this game England decided that after conceding a penalty in their own 22 they just switch off and have a little rest for a minute twice in one game I mean the ref had told stunning him, on the flip side the ref had told him he's going to have a word of his players so he yes, would have thought uh, well I'm sure he'll tell me when it's coming time back is on, on again but it's like but I mean if you count from the point at which you'd have a word with your players it's probably about 20 seconds is it there enough. are thereabouts, yeah. It's, it's, it's 20, 30, it's 20, 30 their eyes seconds. Up, basically. That's the top and bottom. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. As a, you know, when the other team has the ball, especially in a penalty situation, you should, ne- like, as a professional player, particularly at test level, but at any level, if the opposition team has the ball and a penalty, there's absolutely no reason why you should be taking your eyes off the fucking ball. Like, <laughs> you should be alive, especially for a team that has form for this sort of thing, like Wales do. But our water carriers were on, and you have to, you have to, you have to let us reset. What is the defence? Yeah, that's the thing. You don't, have, you don't have to let... Yeah, he doesn't have to let you reset. It was your decision to 
call your fucking wingers in. Whereas you could have literally just shouted, no more penalties, lads. And that is but the reality off, is... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rightly so. You know, and now we've got this ridiculous situation where World Rugby is saying that Gauzer sort of... It's interesting. They're reporting it that um, Gauzer is saying that he admits that he got it wrong. But you look at what Joel Judge, um says in that interview. Um, every cunt's made a statement in the last two days. This is, I've never seen more statements <laughs> made after a fucking test match than this fucking game. But... Um, yeah, you know, he basically said he all all he's admitted is that Gauzer has admitted that there were two. Um, I'll, I'll read it out to you now. There were one or two unfortunate events where there were tough cases to handle. Pascal recognised as such when he spoke to me on the phone. That is not him saying that he got those wrong. No, it's not. Gauzer is basically saying they're really fucking tough decisions that I had to make. Uh and at no point, Jutka clearly thinks that they were both the wrong decision. Um, but that's just his fucking opinion, man. Like, there's no proof that Gauzer thinks that he was wrong. And, I, you know, I appreciate this as an England fan. I didn't appreciate how pissy Gauzer was <laughs> with Farrell. But then, frankly, Farrell came up to him with Extreme a right man. fucking strop on. Yeah. And I think in that situation... You know, you're going to get a, any human being, let alone a fucking test match referee, is not going to be exactly on side with you if you come up fucking screaming the odds and acting all dumb boy. You know, Owen Farrell was angry with himself. That's why he fucking lost his rag because he knows that he should have been fucking keeping an eye on Dan Bigger. And I mean, to be honest, yeah. if, if if the ref would have said, "No, you can't take it," yeah, I'm going to wait till they they're fully aware of what's going on. I'd have accepted that as well. It's one of those brilliant, it's one of the yeah, brilliant yeah. stroke infuriating things about rugby that either, either thing is probably not wrong. I wouldn't yeah. say that they're both yeah. right, but neither are wrong, if you know what I mean. No. It's that brilliant grey they're, yeah, they're both allowable enough. within, within the framework of the law. That was fair enough. But ultimately, yeah. the fundamental responsibility for defending your own line is with the team defending their own line. Yeah. He is not there to defend you. He is there to just, you know, allow the team to do, you know, the team with the ball has the initiative. And it is absolutely, you know, it is the responsibility of the defensive team to respond to that. Yes, it makes no sense. And, and they, they, they'd moved too far away. They'd huddled up too tight. If they were really genuinely thinking the game was still in play or possibly about to be, they would have been 10 metres away. They'd have been fanned out more. There was just a, a whole problem with it to be honest and I, I don't really see what the issue is and, the, and it is that whole thing that then after the game all you did then get is the pundits leading on a discussion like we have to be fair but you end up following what's being talked about but the, none of the pundits are actually saying well to be honest England weren't really looking they were stood too far away like everything you've just said the ball was effectively still live until you're told otherwise yeah as soon as the words time on happen you know it's you know, Those it's, wingers it's should like never it. have been in. The two no, wingers should have been stood on the touchline until somebody pointed at the post. It's as simple as that. It's not. It's not like they were the fucking corp, you know main offenders in the yes, giving away the penalty stakes, is it? Told off for not Honestly, Farrell was basically 
getting his team in for a huddle so the water carrier could come on and tell them what the analysts and Eddie Jones were seeing. Yeah, and they could get some fucking tactical information about what they wanted them to do and what they wanted them to exploit or what they wanted them to do, which is absolutely not what that fucking breaking play was for. That breaking play was not an injury. It was not a water break. It was tell your team to stop giving up fucking penalties and then get back on with the game. 15 minutes in, by the way, you're already being told to have a word with your team. We'll come back to that. Should we talk about the second one? The incident two, electric boogaloo. It's not a knock-on, went backwards. No, it didn't. It did. Anything, like, we've struck, you know, it did not go forwards off his hands. He didn't have control of it. It looked like it went forward off his hands to me. It looks like it goes down and onto his thigh. But I just think... You can see, you can draw the line where the ball goes, and the ball never makes forward movement from his hands. Like, you can say his hands were moving forward and then they touched the ball, but that if that's the case, congratulations, because every single drop kick in history is now a knock-on. Like, the fact is, if it had just gone forward off his hands there, I think it's a knock-on. But because it hits his thigh and goes forward, that's not a knock-on. That's I a think kick. that... The law's ambiguous on it, to be honest. Exactly. Says that the ball goes forward, the law is ambiguous. However, I think it's, it is 99 times out of 100 in any other game that is given as a knock-on. I, I think believe. you probably... I think you... I don't know, see, because of the way that it hits his hip. This is the thing. I think I, the difference you know, between I, deliberately I, dropping something for a kick... Which in, in essence agree. it can go a bit forward, and what is obviously a knock-on, which then just ricochets into your leg. I think that's always been refereed differently. But I think that's the thing. It's this is the problem where you know <laughs> I completely agree. Agree with everybody who says it looks like a knock-on, because you know, first look, I was like, well, obviously that's a knock-on, and then on the replays, I was like, oh, well, it doesn't go forward. And that's the letter of the law. And it's not rugby's fault or Pascal Gosset's fault or Louis Rees-Samet's fault or anyone's fault. It's the laws. And rugby's if rugby's going to be so fucking holier than thou about they're not rules, actually, they're the laws, the laws of the game, and they are sacrosanct, well, then you have to fucking defer to them when you don't like it, sorry. Tough shit. It doesn't matter if it looks like a knock-on and feels like a knock-on and feels like it should be a knock-on. The letter of the law, that's not a knock-on does not go forward off his hands. It goes backwards. And it spaffs off his hip, which is technically the leg, and therefore it's a kick. It's it's spawny as fuck, and it's dodgy as fuck. And it's a, I never in a million bajillion years thought that was a fucking try in real time. But fair play to Liam Williams for fucking playing to the whistle. And oh, yeah, you keep going. Again, yeah, that's no problem with that. Yeah, you play on, you wait to see what happens. You get, again, I think and, and, there's and, a crucial difference. He's given a try on the field as well. So there has to be something, I suppose, really. That is the other thing, is that Gauzet decided that it was a, you know, you know, he, he, it was another quite eccentric decision for Gauzet to sort of, to look at that in real time and go, no, I think that didn't go forward. Like, I was very surprised he made that decision. But then you 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 put the burden of the proof on. You have to prove that the ball's gone forward. Is there a reason why I can't award the try? It's it's very 
it's it's one of those things where rugby makes you know an what? Ass of I'm watching it again. Yeah, and I don't. I'm sorry to do this, listeners, but I don't think it loses contact with his hand. <laughs> what before he kicks? Before it hits? I his think thigh? he drags it into his own thigh. Sorry. I'm... Yeah, I think I I think you. Hang on, let me have a look. <laughs> I know this is crap radio, but no. You know what? It doesn't. He hasn't got it under control. His, but fingers, his hand his, remains but this, in contact with it. And there is absolutely nothing in the laws about being in control of the ball. Referees talk about it all the time. He says you should hold or nothing. place the ball. However, he actually is. I think the ball is in contact with his hand, oh, and he spaps it onto his own hip. Let me have a look at this. Jesus, you might be right. Fucking hell. Yes, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't leave contact with his fingertips. This is about time to be as yellow. Listen to him. He's getting all God. It's even worse. It's even worse than I thought. Yeah. It doesn't actually It doesn't fucking... It's it's in contact with his hand until it spaffs off his thigh. Because I thought he kind of dragged it towards himself. The letter of law is a kick. (laughs) And he'd left it... It looked to me like he'd pushed it into his own hip and and it had gone forward into his hip and then got onto the ground. And that's always ref as a knock-on. But actually, looking yeah. at it again, I don't think I don't that ball stops touching his I hand. I don't think it does. I don't think it does either. Oh, dear. Well, and yet, something else. Ev- anyway, and yet, every other center. fucking bellend in the world thinks that it's, you know, they've got opinions about knock-ons. And I agree, because I look in real time, I looked at that and thought, well, it's got to be a knock-on. It's Looking at it be. again, it's not as clear and obvious as I remember, actually. So, actually, the point that your point that we just talked about, it was given on the field. So, I suppose you've got to find something really obvious to overturn it. And it was marginal, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that I think <laughs> Corsair's got fucking balls of steel to, to look at that in real time and go, well, I think that's a try. Because fuck me, I'm not sure I would have been going try yes or no in that situation. I think he just loves the mischief, doesn't he? He does. I, think I get he the loves feeling the he likes a bit of mischief. He fucking loves the chaos, doesn't he? I mean, the, the, a friend of mine who's who's you know ambivalent towards rugby. He he said, "I've not seen the rugby on Saturday." He said, "I've not seen the rugby." He said, "But what I will say is that no sport has much of a future when the referee is the story week after week after week after it's week." It's very true. Although it's got you a point. Say that, However, I think it's, some, it's a lifeblood of rugby in many ways. Yeah. This shit. What would we have if we? And also. Soccer is the biggest sport in the world, and all anyone does in football is talk about VAR and referees. Well, they do now. I think that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Either way, it's... I don't. I don't. People genuinely enjoy it, and we've just spent the first ten minutes of the coverage of this game talking about those because yeah, know, there's a lot of discourse about it, so we've got to do it. We'll talk about the game itself now, if you like, which we have done just now. But you know what I mean. But yeah, yeah. I, don't, I think the first one's no complaints, really. It was unusual. You don't see it that often. But actually, no. it's not unusual to be loved by anyone and to be expected to be defending your own line. Yeah. And, and the second one, yeah, it turns out he didn't even fucking lose contact with the ball with his hand. <laughs> well, what do you think? Everybody, everyone's looking at this thing and they're seeing something different. <laughs> and I think there's nothing obvious, doesn't it? Yeah, which... I mean, like you say, he loves shenanigans. Pascal goes there, loves a bit of shenanigans. Yes. So, uh, obviously a lot of this was caused 
that first one was caused by the fact that England had a fucking disciplinary fucking shit show. Well, you say England in a broader sense, and you're correct, but Maro Atoji, he's not just playing himself out of the Lions' captaincy at the moment. He's playing himself out of the fucking test team at this rate. Like five penalties I don't think that's end, going to happen. I think. However, it is I don't think that's going to happen. It's 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 getting to the point where the unthinkable is now thinkable. Like five penalties in a game is quite remarkable. I counted and three in the first fifteen minutes by him alone. Yeah, yeah, there were. He was extremely lucky. How he's lasted eighty minutes because every single one of his penalties was a cack-handed professional foul. I was very surprised he didn't get a yellow card with his fourth penalty. <laughs> In the in the second <laughs> what, half, what a fucking state! What a fucking state! Only, only simply because the ref actually called him over at that point and said, yeah. "You've had too many penalties." Seriously, like, well, yeah. You know, we're actually sixty minutes yeah, in really now. Him. I'm thinking yeah. probably you know normally you would expect somebody to be marched, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, this is the thing. At no point in normal rugby things do you think I was surprised he didn't get sent off after he conceded his fourth penalty. Like most players would get hauled off the field. For, like by their coach for conceding that many penalties. But most players don't haunt the dreams of box kicking scrum arms, though, do they? Like he does. This is the thing. He's absolutely preoccupied, right, with become, and this has been a feature of his game over the last eighteen months, of basically trying to be Neil back. When he's a not very good at cheating, and b absolutely doesn't need to do it to be the best lock in the world, like. Yeah. It's it's a totally it's weird because like he's already blessed with as we've talked about so many times you know talent maturity, athleticism and intelligence enough to be the best player on earth. So why he feels that he needs to charge down every kick and be offside all the time that and flirting with offside all the time is just ridiculous. He's athletic enough to not now. do that. That's the other thing. Yeah, like he's much better off not bothering and being a nuisance in all the myriad ways that a player with his utterly unique mix of skills, intelligence and physical abilities it's can thing, do. Maro, there was nothing wrong with the way you were playing about 18 months ago. Just just keep doing that and you'll be one of the best locks that's ever played the game. You know, seriously, it's fine. <laughs> but this is the weird thing because remember when he had that like two-year period of trying to be a shit-ass cheap shot merchant? And... Yeah. Like, was just leaving the fucking shoulder in constantly and was just, like, constantly trying to be a dickhead. And then about two months before the 2019 Rugby World Cup, he just stopped doing it. And all of a sudden, he was brilliant again. (laughs) And now, and then he carried that on until sort of midway through the Six Nations last year. And then he just decided he's going to be a prick again, but in a different way this time. It's like, I get it. He wants to be like this fucking all-round rugby player that has the dark art abilities of a seven mixed with the hardness of a five and the athleticism of a four. But he's just he's trying to be a jack-of-all-trades when he literally just needs to be Maruitoje and be brilliant. I think giving him the captaincy would solve a lot of this, to be honest. And I think, I think he might something be. that needs a review, <laughs> I and I think it's probably right. time, because I think he would. I think he's trying to do too much to, to lead in another way now. And actually, I think he'd do something different as a captain. Yeah. He's also got the emotional intelligence to deal with refs a bit better. Hugely. Owen Farrell absolutely does not have the fucking, you know, mentality to be England captain, Lions captain, any fucking captain. Because as he demonstrated on Saturday, 
when something doesn't go his way, he fucking flips his lid and it instantly, you know, England will never get him back on his side. It's 14 minutes in. That's a lot of game for the ref to hate you for. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And to have no real desire to hear anything that you're saying. Yes. That's why Sam Warburton was such a good captain, because no matter how contentious the decisions were against him, he never lost his rank with the ref. He never, you know, he, he made would a make his point case calmly time, and he? quietly. Said, I wouldn't have gone over that point, because the ref's obviously having to think about what he's just done himself. So you've got to let him get through that <laughs> And therein lies... Then you yeah, approach difference. Them. Yeah, therein lies Lions captain versus somebody who shouldn't even be captain of England. It's... It's you, actually the like, thing. It's like Owen Farrell. If you hadn't done that as well, your your piss would be off the rolling boil that is clearly on now. If you just gave it five seconds, but anyway, yeah, yeah back to Itoji. Yeah, back to Itoji. You know, Eddie's saying that he's been over refereed at the moment, which is a hilariously Eddie-ish load of shit. Um, <laughs> the, the laws are being applied to him, yes, and he's undisciplined and shit at cheating. But I completely agree. Like, if you put the responsibility of captaincy on tomorrow. As you say, he's got the temperament for it. And then it also will probably mitigate a lot of these things where, as you say, he's trying to do too much because he'd go, well, no, I can't get myself fucking binned for being offside for the third consecutive ruck trying to charge something down. And also, have you noticed that every time that Maro actually does charge someone down, nothing happens? Like, when have England scored a try off that? or got possession back, because of how he charges them down, because he's trying to charge the nine down. Charging the nine down is rarely like that bad a thing, because there's usually somebody behind him that just grabs the, the ball. The fullback's and covered every one of them. Yeah. The top and bottom of it. You charge, charge I mean, the fucking fly-off like down. Inside the different... reds. Ali Price was shaking yeah, yeah, yeah. off his game for about 20 minutes, but then, yeah, to be fair, pulled it back. But yeah. Yeah, because the new instant, you know, Wales instantly realised that like you just make one of those long silly caterpillar rucks and then even Itoje can't reach you. And you know, you charge down the ten, that's a different kettle of fish. And Mauro could do that too. He's got the pace and the athleticism for it. But instead he's preoccupied with trying to chase down the nine. Which is just so it's just the symptom of yeah. Serious problems without the ball. And I think the point to make is, you can talk about being over-refereed, but the fact is is that England have had the same problem without the ball, with discipline, for three games with three different refs. So yeah, that's not somebody turning point. against you or anything. That is actually, you're fundamentally continuing to do stuff wrong. Yeah, they're averaging 13.6 penalties a game so far. And it's like, and the thing good. is, it's not, it, it is, and it's stuff like really obviously on the wrong side and really poor ruck discipline and yeah. uh, blocking runners and just Ugh. stupid shit. Do you know what I mean? It's just, that just needs to get sorted really. Because actually well, that, with yeah, the ball, England were the best they've been look, for quite some time yesterday. Yeah, they looked absolutely, look, England were Sorry. set up within, within the last 20 minutes, they were set up to win that game easily. You know, every time they got the ball and they managed to generate any kind of pace, Wales demonstrated that they're still fucking hat standard defence, and the holes were absolutely there. For you know, they, got, they you know they got when they got the ball in Wales's time. half, yeah, that's it. like you say. As soon as they managed to get that second wave involved, they looked like they were going to score a try every time. And it was actually quite easy to get going 
Owen Farrell mm. was looping around the back five, five, seven meters behind the first wave, getting the ball in acres of fucking space. And he's not even that quick. And he was kind of moving into the 13 channel on that second wave, just being able to pick his pass, really. But then again, like they did that, didn't they? Johnny May got up the side, and then the then the infringement came off their own. Rock. This thing, in, you know, invariably, they'd commit something stupid. Like the the example was like that after England had scored that equalising try. I think I can't remember if it was after Wales had taken the lead again or if it was just before they took the lead again. But that moment where they were sort of under. England were in front of Wales's post just outside the 22 and for all the money it looked like two or three phases that was going to be a try. And then Tom Curry for some reason comes into the ruck at literally a fucking right angle right in front Johnny of the Hill ref. Johnny something exactly the same. Yeah. The literally well. he could not have come you know the, the only way that he could have come through the gate less is if he'd approached it from literally the side of the Wales try line. And the ruck was already won. There was absolutely no need to commit to it. And yet he just sort of lazily flopped in at the side and England give up the territory and then Wales kick to the corner and then from that line out, I think it was the one that Genge did that fucking stupid thing and then Sheedy boots it over and it's nine, whatever it was, nine points or six points at that point. And then even then England were looking at it could build something and then you got Dan Robson blocking a runner and then it's another three points. And yeah, and that's exactly straight points. after that. It was, yeah, those, it was that three sort of two minute spell where they just gifted Callum Sheedy nine points. And instantly then that was the game. But there was, you know, every time it still looked like, you know, the interception, Sheedy's interception, you know, that was another promising attack for England. Yeah. That was threatening and had made real ground down the outside channels and was looking dangerous. But they just. They were absolutely their own worst enemies. And, yeah, it the was... The fact is, it was nil-nil with 20 minutes to go. It was a nil-nil 20-minute yeah, game, and England fucked it big time. <laughs> yeah. And they somehow managed to lose by more than two converted scores. Yeah. You know, it's... It, it's fucking... A, such a strange game, because they were just queuing up in that last 20 minutes to do brainless things. And it's hard to know what happens now because England are meant to play France next in two weeks. Mm-hmm. So what the fuck? You know, they could like not have a game now for a month. <laughs> yeah. Three weeks, sorry. Or they yeah. could have a game against a psychotically pumped up France who are <laughs> desperate to prove everybody wrong that they should be out of the tournament. It's just... <laughs> It's so weird. It was such a weird game. Wales are the weirdest Grand Slam Talk to me about ever. Wales. Come on. I, I, I genuinely cannot tell you if they're any good or not. Like, I can tell you that there's been progress. I can tell you that I've enjoyed the way that they've alloyed some of what Pivak wants with some of the streetwise nature and steel of Gatland's team at long last. And that was kind of always the hope. The attack is still very, very hot and cold, you know. I can see the shape starting to... I can see the shape starting the to main, get there. I, do, I can actually go, oh, okay. Yeah, all right. And they did... Um, they did get caught doing too much of that shape for a bit. There were at least mm. like, God, three periods of possession where they were just on the halfway line for five phases going absolutely nowhere. nowhere. And then the I'm... kick wasn't great afterwards and stuff, little things like that. But Yeah. And that's the thing. They're still struggling to get over the game line. They're still struggling to, struggling to break teams down. But if you give them field position, you get you 
if once worlds get into the 22, they're very dangerous. That's a big difference from the Gatlin time, though, isn't it? Because they're not, it is. they're not throwing fucking man after man after man at the line and nothing coming of it. There is, they tend to get Although something Wales, from the Wales 22, were very, Wales were very, you know, for all of, you know, Wales were hard to watch at the end <laughs> under Gatland, but they were usually very clinical once they got, you know, they were quite good at converting scoring chances into, into tries. But they're doing it in a lot more style now. You know, certainly on evidence from what they did against Scotland. But um, I think we, you know, still the defence is absolutely hanging on by the skin of its teeth most of the time. I just genuinely don't understand what Geth is trying to do with it. Um, set piece I, I, I is pretty good. I can that against what was a genuinely inventive attack on Saturday. You're meant to be on the skin of your teeth. And yeah, yeah, fair enough. That, really. But it can get better. Well, they, but, it they, they were, but they were also holding on by the skin of their teeth against fourteen men two weeks ago as That's well. True. So it's it's yeah, you know, the set piece is pretty good now. Actually, like yeah. I fucking told you, just stick Adam Beer back in there and things yeah, will yeah. be all right. You know, they pinched. There was an argument that that Adam Beard pinched line out was a bit of a game changer moment because it came when England were really in the ascendancy and it sort of. Stopped the rot for Wales and allowed them to get a bit of possession back. But I just, I, I think we've seen enough to say, all right, Wayne, you can have another two years. <laughs> Last year was a total fucking shit show, but you managed to stop the rot, and that's not for nothing. George North the is a phase centre. three needed is, is apparently so. I don't think that Jonathan Davis is a twelve. No, I don't think Jonathan Davis is a twelve. I still, I still, don't, the team selection still does not feel right in all areas. But I think he's getting there. And I just think, yeah, phase three is where he really earns his coin. You know, they've had phase one where it was terrible. Now we're in phase two where things are starting to come together, but it's not really good. Phase three will be where hopefully the attack steps up because the defence sure is shit, you know. You can put all I the fucking deny- jammy accusations out the window because you're just consistently winning games. Exactly, and you're scoring tries and looking like you mean it, which is, you know, this team cannot defend like a Gatland team, so they need to score a hell of a lot more fucking points than a Gatland team. And I'm not complaining about scoring 40 fucking points against England, but seriously. Highest points total ever, isn't it, against England now? Yeah. And yet, again, you know, (laughs) which one of those tries looked like we meant it, except for the last one, by which point England didn't give a fuck, let's be honest. No, I think the, the Williams one was meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because actually the way, well, the, you know, the angled kick that went through, if he gathered that recently, yeah, okay. do you know what I mean? It was it yeah, was crafted yeah, yeah, yeah. out of something. The fact it then got spanned forward and Williams followed onto it. But <laughs> yeah, fact, I'll give if it had gone yeah, the way yeah. it was meant to go, Ray Samet would have caught it and that would have been, well, that would have been all she fucking wrote, wouldn't it, as we found out. Um, yeah, that was funny, wasn't it? Unless he has to play it with his thigh. <laughs> he actually plays it better with his thigh when he just throws the ball at his thigh rather than trying to kick it off. Yeah, on. yeah. Um, it was very funny watching him just and I felt for Johnny May because it's not the same when somebody's already running when you're and on the you turn, have to sort of yes. you're on the turn but he fucking rinsed him for pace didn't he he is lying like, he is fucking mustard Christ, he's quick I, can't, I still can't believe how quick he is I've never seen anybody outrun Johnny May like that he is um, just absolutely ridiculous but yeah I mean I made a point start, in the- 
sorry. I was just saying, yeah, I'm ha- like, I'm absolutely prepared to admit that I was wrong about Wayne Pivak once it looks like we start scoring tries on purpose with regularity. You sort of heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. You yeah. sort of heard it here first. Uh, the big uh, before the game in my preamble, I wrote probably the biggest selection that's going to make a difference today is Josh Navidi, and I think I was proven right. Oh, big on Josh Navidi was really good. Oh, Wales are a different. Wales are just a different fucking animal with him on the field. There, there is no player. Ellis Jenkins is probably the closest player that is like that. I think. You know, he will just tackle his fucking guts out for ages. He'll make life a nightmare on the deck. He'll carry. Yeah, I just fucking love that. Imagine five years, me of five years ago, loving Josh Navidi this much. Well, we didn't love Josh Navidi. He was in our Your So Club 15 that wasn't a thing then, but would have been. And now look at it. Because he, yeah, because he got two fucking caps and then it looked like he demonstrated one, you know, quite comprehensively that he was really good at club level and wasn't ever going to make the step up to international rugby. And then he just absolutely proved everyone wrong. Good man. What a fucking player. Should we talk about Ireland versus Italy? Uh, before we do... Okay. One last thing about this game. Okay. Rugby cannot have it both ways with respect. Yes. And... You can't fucking wank yourself into a stupor about players shaking hands at the end of a hard game and plaster it all over your socials talking about why rugby's just different and then lose your mind and clutch your pearls when people start having a go at a player who's clearly not demonstrating those hashtag rugby values that you hold so sacrosanct. Like, to be clear here, I'm firmly in the Ellis Genge can do what the fuck he likes when he's just suffered a really hard loss. And that as any includes player can. Not, yeah. As any player can. And that includes not clapping in that stupid tunnel thing at the end of the game that I don't even know why they do it. Anyone who thinks they need to call him out for that or abuse him for that can get a fucking first-class yeeting into the sea immediately. However, like, this is just rugby's own fault. It venerates and glorifies this fucking horse shit of respect and rugby values and all of this stuff so much that it becomes virtue signaling bollocks in the real sense of the term virtue signaling and not the one that people on Twitter use. Mm-hmm. Like, There's no more respect and camaraderie and hashtag values on display in pro rugby than there is in any other professional sport and pretending it's just different, it's just disingenuous. Just stop it. Just stop doing it. I, um, I like the fact that the tunnel is a thing in rugby. I liked it when I played. I liked that even at the top level, they still do it. I quite like it. Um, however, and I, and I hope it continues. However, I've got no problem with somebody standing looking fucking fuming in the tunnel and not particularly yeah. wanting to pat the opposition on the back. I've got no problem with that whatsoever. And I do think some of this stuff is just eulogised and, and lionised in, in a way that is not right, true. Because, you know, the thing about rugby, or, you know, what I like about it is they knock shit out of each other and they have a drink in the clubhouse afterwards together. Well, they do, but in my experience... One team stands at one end of the club and one team stands at the other end of the club <laughs> and a couple of people who know each other mingle and the coaches might chat with each other. And that's not because we've got an antipathy towards them. That's just because we're stood with our mates. And I think you'll find that every fucking sport that goes into a clubhouse afterwards does the same thing. Do you know what I mean? It's not. There's nothing particularly exceptional about it. And it's nice. And let's not pretend it's anything other than it is. It just, and it's just... Rugby is genuinely not a respectful sport. It's been historically no. racist and classist and exclusionary and shitty. And 
you know, they're fixing that and that's fine. But there is a kind of, there's a, there's something of a kind of truth and reconciliation thing needed with rugby to actually <laughs> face up to the shit yeah. that it did and actually yeah. addressing what they need to do to fix it that doesn't involve having a go at some fucking lad who's obviously just, he, to be honest, he's probably just fucking daydreaming about it. He's probably thinking, I'm a bit fucking cold. I want to go in in a minute. Oh, I'm yeah. supposed to be well, just thinking about thinking about what he's having. For, you know, oh, well, I wonder if we'll have pizza when we get in. Did I leave the iron on? Yeah, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> he's thinking about whatever the fuck he wants because he's, you know, he's doing the hard part. He's there. He's standing Stop there. It. You know, just, uh, you know, and I really hate. Make loads of noise. Nobody gives a fuck. Let's move on from this ridiculousness. Yeah. Stop. Spare me this Victorian morality about everything. And actually start addressing like, the fact that you need more people like Ellis Gens from where he's from playing the fucking yes. game rather than having yeah. to go at him for not clapping in the way that you want him to. Yeah, and just allowing these people to be their own human beings and experience emotion and experience everything however the fuck they please. You know, like, I hate it. Like, uh, you know... I hate when Wales play England because there's always this desire to paint England players by some people on, you know, I'll be the first person to sort of sledge and, you know, say that England players are awful and terrible shits, you know, because <laughs> pretty much every professional athlete on earth is an awful person. And Plus that's it's called fan culture. Yeah, exactly. It's I'm fine with rivalry and I'm fine with them us hating the opposition because they're our most hated rivals. But I really dislike this sort of like need to conduct a fucking witch hunt after every like Wales England game for every perceived slight that we've then got to be getting on our fucking high horse about as if to demonstrate that they're like somehow even worse than we ever thought. And it's like, <laughs> you know what? We just put fucking 40 points on them, lads. Fuck off. Enjoy it. You know, Mike Brown, in that interview after 2015, it's yeah. absolutely right that England's opponents laugh at his face for the rest of time. Genuinely one of the funniest things that's ever happened. But every yeah. rugby fan should fucking love that he was absolutely fuming and had no time for the pointless fucking shite that you get asked after games. Everyone should love yeah. that. Yeah. But laugh it's at it. It's reality. It's, I resp- you know, I hate Mike Brown. But I respect Mike Brown for that because it shows to me that Mike Brown gave a fuck about his team. It's not Nick Easter and his fucking, you know, 20 grand down the fucking drain bollocks in the changing rooms. It's, you know, it's actually really caring about what went on on the field and your team and your performance and all of that stuff and it mattering like it matters to us. And I, I don't have a problem with that. Stop. Oh, anyway. Ireland versus Italy, then. Yeah, Ireland yeah. should try offloading a bit. <laughs> they should try. What like, they do? Against other teams that aren't Italy. <laughs> like, the first two games, it was genuinely like the players were treating the ball like it was a vital organ. Like, so reluctant with it to offload the ball. Like it was their own child. Italy, yeah. Then Italy rock up, and all of a sudden, they're just chucking it around like it's a fucking useless appendix or something. You know, it's... There's more offloads in the Italy game than in the last two games combined, or as many, I should say. I mean, there's an enormous caveat to anything that happens against Italy, isn't there? Huge, Let's be honest. But, which um... we'll come on to, I'm sure. But, like, you know, they seem to be looking for contact less. They seem to be getting the ball away quicker. And certainly in the first half, you know, Ireland, you sort of looked at it and went, oh, yeah, this is what Ireland need to do. <laughs> that Keenan try 
was like a first phase move, but it was off really like third well phase, I think. It had been really yeah, well set really up. Really well worked. And there was a combination, I think it was a combination of, was it a move or actually did everyone just get the timing right? And Ring Rose is a bit special to get that offload away, but it was great. Um, what I will say, though, is that um, what I did notice is that actually every time either team got into the opposition's 22, they scored in some way. It just so happens mm. that Italy did it very infrequently. But Ireland had a serious yeah, yeah. problem in their own 22, actually, against Italy. Even against Italy, there was either a penalty coming or Italy were getting over, you know, scored, scoring a try. And I think anybody's watching defensively Ireland will look at that and think, you know what, I fancy that. I fancy getting some territory against Ireland and seeing how this goes. Because I can't work out your point whether they were a bit, oh, it's Italy, we won't quite defend in a way we would do against. And that, the fact is that does happen. But yeah, it, almost Ireland were almost kind of as vulnerable as Italy were in their own 22, which is that Ireland were in Italy's 22 about 327 times. So, <laughs> Well, this is the thing. It's, Italy are really bad at defending, right? Like it's, re- like, it's really hard to stand with the whole <laughs> Italy are getting better thing, which I, you know, you know I genuinely believe they are. They're brilliant in attack and defence until they get to the third phase. In attack... Or defence. Yeah. <laughs> they look all right defending for about two, three phases after that, it all turns to ratchet. Instantly, it's so bad. And attacking is exactly the same. Well, this looks nice. Oh, God, but it's the third phase. What's he doing now? What the fuck are you doing? What is that <laughs> kick? Why have you done that? Who's passed that to him? Why is he stood there? It's just, it's, it's just their brains explode after the third phase. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, they really did miss Stephen Varney from an attacking point of view because I think it. You know, for all he holds we, the defense of it, doesn't he? He holds the defense, and we've also, check. you know, he he just, I think he's a good foil to Garbisi, in that he's a very sensible lad. <laughs> I don't think that he's going to try anything silly, and Garbisi is absolutely is going to try and fucking dummy everyone and run. You know, I've not seen Garbisi smile yet. He's no, a he's never sullen once young smiled. man, isn't he? He's very. He's got a lot of responsibility, I suppose. He's taking yeah, it very seriously. Has. But yeah, Italy uh three games and they have minus 101 points difference, which is, I mean, it's like you say, it's basic shit. As soon as you get them into the, you know, past the first, the third or fourth phase, the positioning's bad, the tackling is bad. As soon as you, any kind of line break is basically a try because they're so bad at covering. It's and they don't seem to res- they don't seem to sort of understand how to reset on the hoof. I think the worrying so, thing for me is that they don't actually seem to try to scramble. No, which is easy for me to say sitting here, but there is something distinctly lacking in the effort you might expect when scrambling. And yeah. I don't know what that's about, really, but it needs it needs fixing because they're going to scramble a lot. So they need to get yeah, better. Yeah, and that's the thing. They need to be really good at scrambling because they are going to have line breaks. Every team is going to have line breaks, but a line break just can't be a try or you will lose every game by 40 or 50 points. And, you know, this we've talked about this generation of Italy players and I think they are different. I think they are special. But it's going to be the same old fucking story unless they learn to defend because it doesn't matter what they do. If, as you say, they're basically shipping a try every time a team goes into the 22. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce, that you see as well, you see that Maya try was within three phases. Yeah. You know, this is, they just, and was, to, I don't know, and, that's where, I don't know what the answer is, and was a Garbisi dummy. 
which is that the only way that Italy can score anything. Dummy, and then hands through to, through a two-man yeah, tackle. Loved Woof, loved have it. some of that. And that's why you always kind of stay interested with them, really. Yeah, they're, they're, more, they're, not they're a much much. more interesting team I got a bit than bored towards the end, I'll be honest. But, um, yeah. I switched, in the second half, I was barely paying attention. Here's a thought, though, right? Paul Gustard is at Benetton now. Now you're talking. Seriously, fuck Benetton. Give man. him a call in his Unabomber style team immediately. His style cabin he's built up in the Alps. <laughs> Get him back down. Uh, yeah. Not much else to say there, was there? Well, Johnny Sexton's having a fair go. Well, it's certainly against Italy. He's having a fair go at being the world's first stationary fly-off. I like it. It's like, you know, like those giant cannons that the Nazis used to move around France on train tracks that could fire 100 miles but could only move at like two miles an hour? That's <laughs> <laughs> He's basically, he was genuinely doing some good stuff, acting as this sort of like non moving fulcrum around which, and just, you know, doing some nice little passes and some nice little delayed passes on, you know, and actually created some really nice stuff. But, like, that's now all that he can offer a team is that, because he's so slow and so broken. There's just... I like Will Connors. Me too. Much better than Josh van der Fleer, if you're going to go that way. Yeah. Do you see that moment where Sexton was the pivot on the classic Sexton loop? <laughs> yes, I where did. I genuinely, I was almost tragic. I was just like, oh, mate. Oh, no. You know. <laughs> you don't do the loop <laughs> anymore. You don't do the loop. You are the you are the loopy, not the looper. Yeah, I don't think it's better teams. It was a timely fixture for Ireland. I think they needed it because they were spot. looking a little bit in a malaise, weren't they? And and I think if yeah. that if they can keep doing that some of that stuff, then it's going to get better. I think. I agree. Uh, right then, should we do shit good to finish this epic of an episode? Yeah. What have I got that shit? George Ford's random shite punt. Did you see? Do you remember that? <laughs> when it came off the back of the scrum yes. and he got it and he just suddenly booted it sort of left to right Spaffed straight it. to yeah, Josh yeah. Adams. He just marked it. And went, it was just, oh, right. oh, just like, what the fuck have you done that for? It was the most bizarre. There was a couple of those. There genuinely so were a couple either. of moments. Really no, it's the thing. He's such a composed sort of sensible player usually and he rarely does that sort of thing. But it does just show how a, a malaise can... Really fucking. That's just a classic training moment, isn't it? When you go, right, everyone stop, George. Do you want to <laughs> George, talk me through what, what you think you were doing there, mate? <laughs> uh, and just to be clear, not interested in you doing it ever again. Okay, right, <laughs> let's go. I'm, I'm go glad on, you, we go again. Honestly, I'm glad you did it now because <laughs> I genuinely got that don't your want, system don't now. Great, great. Let's let's carry on. Uh, that was my best Simon Armour impression, as, a, nice. as, as a Jeremy Guskett incorrectly called him. Uh, right then, so what have we got here? That's have you got any shit, by the way, that we haven't talked about already? I, mean, I had BBC's we've, we've coverage, we kicked the arse out of that. So did I. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've covered it, I think. Johnny Great McGinty enough. gets in touch. He says, shit is Glasgow getting all their Scottish internationals back for the, for the game yesterday, that was Sunday. And still getting taken behind the woodshed by a faceless army of Leinster-Tron 3000s. Well, you say that. It was actually quite clear, even though they had 14 men because Adam Hastings decided to boot someone in the face. <laughs> um, 
tell you what you say. Uh, it was quite, you know, like Glasgow, I think it was 21-7 when they went down to 14 men and there was half the game left. And it was like, they, they Glasgow scored a couple of tries. It was like 28-21 until quite near the end. And then obviously Glasgow going to Glasgow. Um, but yeah, I you know, I thought it was a, a, a quite an entertaining, quite a fun game. Because, I mean, there was very little else to watch on Sunday for obvious reasons. So... Well, you could have been watching V the miniseries followed by V the final conference. You could have been watching V the miniseries. Oh, it's Scarlet's versus Edinburgh. That was a really good game, actually. It was, I see. Yeah. Mm. Tom Dare gets in touch. He says, shit is death threats. Absolute cunt's behavior with no excuses. Now, obviously, the death threat thing is Alice Genji has been told that he was getting death threats for not clapping. Which, I mean, just, just you know, <sighs> apropos of nothing, just, just listen to somebody saying that. Somebody got death threats for not clapping. <laughs> You know, and and it's him that's reported um, that, and he doesn't really tell fibs. I don't think he just hears what he is. In fact, no. his response was, "Just tell me where you want me to meet you," <laughs> which is classic Alice <laughs> Gange, really. But uh, it's just we've covered it, but it's fucking ridiculous, and we agree. Uh, to actually, I'll give, I'll give you a quick shit. Uh, England six two split. Um. I love the way that then, people do that as if it's like a political declaration of six two split. Yeah. It's fucking but hilarious. England having, but England having it's a like the shift to a monetarist policy or something, you know, you're not making a point, <laughs> you know. But what's the point in having a six two split if you then don't bring uh one of your players on? Which who's been much touted as this wonderful debut Yeah, George George Martin, not the guy who produced the Beatles. Yeah, we see I wrote um, in my preamble that in, Exactly there can be and and <laughs> Leinster back rower George Martin can expect a day in the life when he makes his day. Lovely. And they fucking didn't even bring him on. I literally it's threw it's that out like, there into the ether. It's almost like Eddie was sort of realised that there was 10,000 Beatles jokes waiting to be made. <laughs> he wasn't going to have like, it in the face of a defeat. <laughs> <laughs> but it's genuinely, what is the point of having a 6-2 if you then don't, you know, the whole point of that is that you can bring on, you know, six forwards. If you don't bring one of them on, you might as well have just gone for a, a 5-3 and had an extra, you know, this, it was so weird. It was so weird. And Max when Merlin's was the last time you saw five, five sub in Rugby Union? Very bizarre. Yeah, well, that is the, you know, when he should be starting at 15, because... Daly's played Christ. better than he has done for a while, actually, but uh, I still wouldn't have him in there. Uh, Michael gets in touch. He says, shit, he's still no idea what's happening with Scotland versus France. He says, also shit is England's so-called finishers for a team who never actually finish a game strongly. He's got a point, though, hasn't he? He also says that good, actually, is Wales' bench. Finished the game very well and everybody uh, contributing something here, right? Uh, Say gets in touch. He says, shit is a shite house triple crown, which everybody outside Wales refused to recognise, topped off with a Grand Slam awarded thanks to a 28 nil walkover against lockdown bust in France. He said, but also, <laughs> but good is seeing everything I've just written. Yeah, completely agree. I will, I will love, I will absolutely love it if that's, you know, asterisk the fuck out of me, baby. I did Let's... t-shirts with it on and everything. <laughs> You should be having. I'm just. I just want a T-shirt with an asterisk on it, and that will be my grand T-shirt. Six Nations trophy and a massive asterisk. Um, Doctor Nostril Bag says shit is that Wales still don't create much. He says, but good is how little that matters when they convert absolutely everything. 
Yes. Adam Reese. Yeah. Adam Reese, friend of the pod, is here. He says, "Shit, is this new predicted kicking percentage graphic?" <laughs> Adam's really angry about this. He's he very tweeted angry, at ITV he? about it. He tweeted <laughs> at ITV about it and everything. <laughs> Get him told, Adam. Um, but I agree. Pointless statistics, man. Yeah. It's like if you say, "Oh yeah, well, Jonathan Sexton is a a seventy nine percent goal kicker, but this is an eighty three percent." Uh, he's got an 83% predicted kick probability. It's like, well, what does that mean? What does it Explain mean? Explain to what? me what that means. So that, that 4% difference, what does it mean? It's just yeah, fucking exactly. stupid. Just for once, just let somebody kick a ball. Um, Not try, try to analyse it before it's even happened. Data is the most important thing in the world, even though it can't predict the future. A friend of ours will be upset we've said that. Uh, John yeah. Horan says that shit is recipe website. Well, this is not even rugby related. Recipe websites that have five thousand word thesis on the dish that you have to scroll through before you get the ingredients. John, couldn't agree. I'm more. too tired at this stage of the pod to go onto a full on emotional rant about that. But I am telling you, <laughs> I will store it for another time because <laughs> it's always fucking middle class, fucking yummy mummy and daddy cunts who bang on about their fucking lives before they write it as well. When I was trying to make flatbreads last week. Flatbreads, it's the food of the fucking poor. I don't want to hear about you making it on holiday in fucking Tuscany, you twat. Sorry, I said I wouldn't do that. So. No, no, you don't need to. Genuinely, what I need is a list of ingredients, preferably pulled together where they would be in the shop, <laughs> and then... A link to an Amazon, like an Amazon dash button, a link to buy them yeah. all. Yeah, yeah. And, and then I just need a method, and that's literally it. It's, it's fine. because you don't see, need anything more. Too many people think that people give a shit about their lives. And I want to talk because I tell stories about my life on here all the time. But actually, I know that I'm talking to a, a nice closed audience here that somehow are interested. <laughs> but anyway, we'll carry on. So have, we, have we got any good? Have I got any good? Uh, I'll tell you what's good, right? Dan Bigger's kick for Josh Adams to score. It was actually. Yeah, people absolutely, forget in the midst of all of this. No, it could not have been more perfect if you plotted it on a fucking CAD, right? Accuracy, timing, waiting, everything about it was absolutely perfect. Hit him in stride as he was going over the line. Just he doesn't get nearly enough kudos because of the incident. But it was an absolutely beautiful kick. I do love the fact that it's just called the incident now. That's what it'll be forever. Um, um Speaking of which I had good was talk of Dan Bigger's demise being slightly premature, which I think is good for him. Well, it just demonstrates what, you know, Dan Bigger offers what Dan Bigger offers. And at times, like Sunday, it's exactly what you need. I think the 55-minute, 55-25-minute split between him and, and Sheedy looks about right, actually. Well, this is the thing, because he got, you know, he got pulled very early against Scotland. He, got pulled, he was actually got pulled after 45 minutes. On um, yeah. he, was, he was five minutes from off time, and then he was off on... You know, conventional wisdom is what the fuck are you doing? But both times that's happened, Callum Sheedy has come on and performed extremely well and added something very different to Wales' game to the point where you wonder if they should swap those two things around. But still, yeah. Well, I've got Hugo Keenan again was good. I've already mentioned Will mm-hmm. Collins. Hugo Keenan was good. Andy Farrell seems to love maybe as much as he loves Jameson Gibson Park, but maybe not that much. But... <laughs> I hope he loves him more than he loves playing Jacob Stockdale football fullback when he is fifth. Yes, and and then finally, <laughs> good for me was 
Willis Hallaholo's lightning pos- pot pass when Henry Slade was trying to do a murder on him. <laughs> yes, that was really good. Got to give it to him. Unbelievable. <laughs> Gone. Yeah. Bang. Yeah. Ouch. See you later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then Adams was in on the loop. Yeah, it was great stuff. What have we got this good here then? The Dai Lama's been in touch. He says, good is Hello. everything and life is yeah. wonderful. Couldn't agree more, to be honest. Rowan Phillips says that good is Adam Beard. Wales is Brody Retallick. I mean, I wouldn't go that far. No, but he's—I've never he's... seen him do a single thing in the loose. But so, but yeah. <laughs> uh, is that is that Rowan Williams the same Rowan Williams or Rowan one? Phillips? Oh, Phillips. Sorry, fair enough. I thought he might have been. The, I thought we might the have weirdly weirdly pulled in the ex Archbishop of Canterbury into our reader group, which would have been weird but funny. Ten, um, one. Good for me. Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose, and not just this week either. I think on the quiet, they have both been very, very good in a struggling Ireland team. Yeah, and that's the They've, midfield partnership you want to stick with, isn't it? One hundred percent, that is the one, isn't it? Henshaw always has more pace than I think he should have. He's or I very him quick. He's very quick for a lad that big. He's basically like if you if you could. Like, if you gave Warren Gatland a character creator in, like, a rugby game, yes. Robbie Henshaw would be Warren Gatland's perfect fucking player. Yes. Um, I think we might find that out in the summer, but we can't talk about that yet. No. Ten Ep gets in touch. He's as good as Ellis Jenkins, who is back. Yeah. And playing well. Actually, properly back and playing well. Fair play to him. And Owen Glindur gets in touch. He says, good is AWJ. is back to his absolute shite house best. The highlight was single-handedly hand- hanging onto three English forwards and not letting them rejoin a mall and not even getting pinged for it. That, Marrowy Toji, is how you can be a weapons-grade shithouse without getting Hell caught. Yeah. Hell yeah. Comrade Sporty gets in touch. He says, good is Dwayne Vermeulen. He was, this is on the Patreon messaging service. He said, Dwayne Vermeulen... The scourge of Welsh props in Rugby World Cup semi-finals. It was nominated for best player in, in all three senior categories at the South African Rugby Awards, and he's probably going to win all three. And he's about thirty-eight <laughs> now, isn't he? Something ridiculous like that. Yeah, something like that. James Franklin says, "Good is that Gloucester have won a game of rugby yeah, union did. football." <laughs> I mean. It's meaningless now because nobody's getting relegated. Doesn't matter. Still, it's nice. Still, it's nice for them. Isn't Nothing it? is ever meaningless in Gloucester's world. No, it's, everything is dripping with meaning. <laughs> ben gets in touch. He says, "Good." It doesn't quite fit Josh's narrative, but Sexton was class, especially his I mean, late ten twelve access with Billy Burns. And be, I'll be honest, Ben. If you're going to hang your future on that, I wouldn't. <laughs> Oh, Jonathan Sexton at 12 and Billy Burns at 10. Imagine thinking, going into a World Cup with that. Right then, Evan Quick gets in touch. He says, good is George North. <laughs> Apart from yeah. Talupe, was our best performer on Saturday. Solid performance from him. And the nuisance that was Elliot D, as soon as he came on, got right under the skin of Ellis Genge. He was a right dickhead. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> uh Colin McBride gets in touch finally. He says, good is Josh christening any potential whale slam, the hashtag jam slam. 
And yes, we covered that one. Okay, he said, don't know if I can take credit for that. But and I'm how well Wales are leaning into being the Six Nations heel. He says that shit is that I now want Wales to complete the jam slam. Oh, me too. So much. Like, I don't think we'll win. I don't think we'll actually get the jam slam, but it's funny. It's really funny. Would About, this be more surprising than Mike Ruddock's Grand Slam? Yeah. Think? I think it's it's, it's going to have weird parallels with it as well. Long term, what, the wheels will all come off in a year. Well, just in the think that I'm not sure. I don't think this is this is not sustainable. Come off it. <laughs> we, we we can't play half our games against fourteen men. Have one of them probably called off, and the other one where the referee just hates the opposition from fifteen minutes in. It's... No, uh, sorry, point of order. The referee hated the captain of the opposition. That's different. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's not sustainable as a strategy. But it's really funny while it continues. Just really, really funny. I'm enjoying it. And that, on around two and a bit hours, Jesus Christ Almighty brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, everybody. And we'll speak to you all very soon. Take care. Goodbye. So long. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.